Good afternoon, good evening, America, depending on what part of the nation you are in. I hope you all are doing well today. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Sea Report, coming to you live here on this Tuesday, July 26th, 2022. That is the year of our Lord, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all are doing wonderful out there across the interwebs and all the Wi-Fis that scatter us around this nation and around this world. And uh, welcome back. We've got a Tuesday episode edition for you guys of The Sea Report. I'm your host, Mr. C, a.k.a. Michael Aaron Casadis, and it's great to be here with you guys. We've got a great show lined up ahead for you guys. And boy, has it been one of them busy days. We had... Um, President Trump dropping in to the America First Policy Institute's uh, summit. I think this is the first of its kind. Uh, specifically, I mean, uh, it was the America First Agenda Summit, and it happened uh, today and yesterday uh, in Washington, D.C., and, and was also markedly uh, President Trump's first return to Washington, D.C. since uh, that little false flag debacle that happened about almost, uh, we're going on two years and a few months, ladies and gentlemen, since that debacle happened. Uh, but needless to say, that is what is going on. And, uh, you know, I did not get to watch the entirety of the um, uh, America First Policy Institute's summit for the America First Agenda. Didn't get to watch all of it, uh, only because, uh, well, you know, Got a lot of things to do today, but we did we did broadcast. We did a watch party a live stream of President Trump's speech. He was the keynote speaker at this event, uh, so we got to see that this afternoon. I thought that was a very very good speech. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, come on, guys, you've seen one President Trump speech in the last couple of months. You've seen them all, right? I mean, they only change as much as. They only change as much as the events that are occurring around the nation are happening, right? And that's when, uh, you know, you really get some new sauce, you get some new juice, you get some new will to power from President Trump coming out of his mouth. And uh, I would say most definitely the um, focus for today's keynote address would have been uh, the safety and the security of Americans. I'm sure you guys have all heard President Trump say such words as, we will make America safe again. We will make America secure again, ladies and gentlemen. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. That seems to be what uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the impetus for this particular speech was, of course, alongside and nestled quite well together with the America First Agenda, which is what we're all serving. I mean, the more and more we move forward, it's kind of like, well, it's not about political parties. It's not about Democrats. It's not about Republicans. It's not about independents or green people. The green boys, sir. It's about America. It's about the uh, pride and the honor and the love that unites us all, really, ladies and gentlemen, if you think about it. If you, if you really are a proud American, regardless of your political party, 
you're always going to be America first, ladies and gentlemen. And that very notion, that little idea, I think is what rattles the cages that alone the brains of uh, the individuals who are globalist mindset who are anti-nationalist, who want open borders. You know, the same people who hijacked the hippie peace and love movement and was like, oh yeah, one world, one world, one kiss, one promise, one Bob Marley, and then they shoot him in the head. Now, what is that all about, ladies and gentlemen? That's exactly what that is about. Okay, in case you guys uh, might have been wondering or what was going on with that, that is exactly what that is about. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what that is about. One world, one love, one uh, nation uh, under God, indivisible, and then you shoot Bob Marley in the head. It's a terrible thing, guys. A terrible thing. Um, I had a few more thoughts about the President Trump uh, speech today, one of which I was going to share with you guys before we get underway with today's episode uh yeah today's gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun day guys we're gonna be traveling overseas outside of the shores of america for this evening so i hope you guys are ready ripped up strapped in and raring to go because we've got some ground to cover on the international front there's actually quite a bit of international news that i really wanted to share with you guys apparently japan is uh initiating mass executions of some sort i don't know if this is happening in the absence of uh, a character political figure like uh shinzo abe or what but we'll 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 tear into that before the end of the week um i had one of our viewers give me a tip off on the myanmar burma situation so a lot of stuff happening on the international front and as you guys may remember, last week we did cover Victoria Newland in Ukraine and Africa. And guess what? These rats all swim in the same circles, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, well, needless to say, you might recognize some of the topics on the plate for today. But we are going to talk a little bit about Russia and Ukraine this evening. So I hope you guys will hang out and hang in there with us as we get through about the next two hours uh, into that type of discussion. Because there are things that are always changing and happening over there. And, you know, it's like when we were going through uh, my uh, browser's uh, little uh, uh, mainstream, lamestream, shamestream spin wheel uh, yesterday, uh, seeing what is it that these creepoids are talking about today? What new propaganda are they trying to uh, impart to us today? What new narrative are they trying to force feed us and shove down our throats, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, we love the counterpunch and the counter narrative. It's one of the best things in this world, guys, when you just see it unravel right before their eyes, ladies and gentlemen, right before their eyes. But before we do that, I'd like to encourage you all to stop in to our uh, local online web store, which is otherwise known as shopmrctv.com. You can get there by going to thecreport.com. That's www.thecreport.com. Click on the store icon and you can go and uh, check out some of the latest designs and apparel and items and accessories available over at Shop Mr. C. Hey, you guys want a pillow? You guys want a pillow? We got some Shop Mr. C pillows. Rest your head easily on a C-Report pillow. Know you get your news. Know you get your information. Know you are kept up to date 
every time you lay your head on that pillow and enjoy an episode of The Sea Report, whether you're listening to that on podcast or you're checking us out live during a live stream or heck, even if you're checking out a replay, you can even, uh, you can even, uh, uh, you know, Enjoy a nice cool beverage in a stainless steel tumbler from MrCTV.com, ladies and gentlemen. MrCTV.com. No, I'm sorry. That is forthcoming. But stop in to shop MrCTV via TheCReport.com right now, and we still have our promotion running. Uh, enter promo code 1776REBORN, that's 1776REBORN, R-E-B-O-R-N, at the checkout, and you can get your favorite design or uh, most desired Mr. C apparel um, available at a 17% discount uh, now through the end of this month. And, uh, you know, if we extend that sale, I'll let you guys know. But, uh, you know, go ahead and stop on in. You know, you got school coming up. You know, even if you're a homeschooler, you want to see your kids wearing that Adidas and Disney and Phila and Nike and Satan this and Satan that. No! Even if they're homeschooling, you would much rather that they wear some um, fun, fashionable, and educational and smart designs from shopmrctv.com. Get them while you can, ladies and gentlemen. Get them while you can. And um, you'll support this broadcast when you do so and all the work that I do here at Mr. C TV. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah, there you go. Getting a little bit better at that, guys. Getting a little bit better at that. Uh, but yes, so um, getting back into President Trump's statements. Oh, actually, we'll, we'll get into President Trump's statements in just a minute. Um, back into his speech from today. Now, I was, I was mighty busy doing a very important task here at the Sea Residence, and that was called Deep Cleaning the Kitchen, ladies and gentlemen. So I wasn't able to hang out the entire time. Uh, but I was listening to the speech, ladies and gentlemen, the entire time. And I really have to say I appreciate President Trump's impetus towards um, security and safety for America. I mean, that was probably the number one point aside to making America first uh, when we're talking about uh, when we're talking about uh, what it was that was uh, covered in this uh, keynote address. OK, um, you know, and uh, he said something today that made me think about something he said, I think it was in his Arizona rally, that kind of didn't really sit well with me. And you know, this happens. No one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. It's okay. It's 100% okay. Uh, but that had to deal with the drug dealers, okay? He says, we need to follow China's example and do quick trial, quick trial. Drug dealers get quick trial, Quick trial. <laughs> Wait, delug drillers, drillers get quick trier. <laughs> so, and you know, and the first time he mentioned that, though, I believe was uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't in the at the last rally that President Trump gave for Save America, it was probably a short time prior to that, ladies and gentlemen. But I remember the first time that I heard him say that I heard him say quick trial for drug dealers, like. 
they're, they're, it's just like quick trial execution, quick trial execution. I was like, I was like Antifa BLM, Antifa BLM, the police, the police. Oh, they just want to kill us, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got caught up in my, I got caught up in my little like uh, feels there. I was like, oh, President Trump just wants to kill people without due process. President Trump, what if the drug dealer's not really a drug? What if the drug dealer is just like a small time I use people to get drugs from them by telling them I'm a dealer and ripping them off? Like, what if it's just some small time little petty person, right? Of course, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about the El Chapos of the world. He was talking about the cartel bosses of the world. Was he talking about your everyday drug dealer? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think he was, but he could have been. But, you know, people are probably asking, why is Mr. C standing up for drug dealers right now? Well, let me tell you what, ladies and gentlemen. Entrepreneurship. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. President Trump actually expanded on that entire notion during this keynote address. And he did say... You know, um, when you have a drug dealer on the street, we're talking like, I don't remember the figure he gave. He, it was, it was like, it was multiplicate. It was like, you take out a drug dealer, you save like 500 lives. It was something really dramatic like that. And, you know, I'm not going to deny the statistic because I didn't go and look it up myself, but I was thinking like, you know, I mean, quick trial doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you were busted dealing drugs. Now we're going to put you in front of a judge within the next hour of your bust. And then we're going to execute you an hour after that, even though he did say two hours. <laughs> but I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is exactly just that. People like the cartels, the ones who the bosses, the people like that. And then he did also back that up by saying that that America would never be like China when it comes to quick quick triers, right? Quick triers. Like America will never be like China. China will always be an authoritarian communist nation. You know, I should not say always. You guys know I don't like to deal in absolutes, but um, he China for the time being is an authoritarian communist nation that probably would do just that. You know, bust them, put them before a judge in 30 minutes and hang them 30 minutes later. Would not doubt that. But it did stress the importance and the safety and the security that American people need to be provided with. But there's only one way that we could possibly do that, ladies and gentlemen. The only way that we can really ensure that, um, that Americans are safe and that police will do their job is, what do we got to do, ladies and gentlemen? We got to make police officers heroes again, ladies and gentlemen. We have got to make police officers, heroes, again, because this entire culture of, uh, of anti-police, this defund police, that police are killers, police are out to get you, police are crooked, that entire stream of thought, in my opinion, has totally poisoned the American landscape, and in doing so, has not only made it harder for brave individuals to have, who are willingly putting their life and safety on the lines, in the line of duty, in their job, ladies and gentlemen, not only has that point of view made it harder for them, it is also 
shrank the pool for individuals who are really willing to go out there and perform such a duty, you know? Because if there is low morale and a low perspective on police officers in general, I don't care what city you're in, you can be in a city with the most corrupt cop, ladies and gentlemen. But if you, if we maintain that type of purview on law enforcement, there's no way it can improve. Indeed, I would, I would, I would dare say, ladies and gentlemen, that if, as President Trump said, we have to bring respect back to their duty, right? We have to respect the beat that they walk, and we have to revere and observe them as heroes, you know, because like, you know, here at the Sea Report, we back the blue. That's no question. There's no question about that, ladies and gentlemen. But the only way, because this goes, this goes beyond just the economic and the social implications about law enforcement or lack thereof. This also goes into as well, this also goes into as well as the mental the morale and the emotional psychology that goes into being a police officer. You know, if, take this for example, if we have a very, very um, upright and a very forward view of our police officers and our law enforcement officers, and we respect them and we honor them and we revere them, Maybe not revere like, oh, we're going to drop to our knees and do uh, obeisance and all that stuff. No, not like that. But if we at least, we don't even have to admire them. But, you know, respect goes a long way, right, for the duties that they do. And also gratitude, guys. Then we'll attract more individuals into the law enforcement field. And guess what? If there's already an attitude of gratitude and respect towards police officers and law enforcement. That's going to attract good people, okay? Good people, people who know that their work will be appreciated. And the more and more and more good people get into those ranks, the more likely it is that they're going to bust up all of the corruption within the office. Does that make sense, right? Because they're going to be like, hey, people respect, people honor us, people want us to do a job, people like us, people want us to protect us. They understand that that's what we're doing. So if we attract more good people into this position, it's more likely that the good people will be like, you're doing something corrupt here, police chief Wiggum or whatever your name is, you know, and then that starts to topple down that wall. It's all of this psychological, emotional, mental stuff that goes along with it. And, you know, it's also, I think, I think I'm pretty sure the left and the leftist liberals have understood this psychology for years. And that's why Probably starting in the late 1980s with gangsta rap, they started to break down, not only did they start to break down the black American family and culture, they also started to break down the law enforcement police sheriff culture as well. So they took out two birds with one stone with that gangsta rap, ladies and gentlemen. They're pretty smart people pretty smart people. They're kind of like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll destroy the black American family. We'll put all of the men in prison and we'll also, we'll also cause this entire, uh, what, what should we call it? Mass hypnosis, psychosis of police are bad and police are going to kill you and police are out to get you. Well, you know what? 
And no man is perfect, neither is any police force. And there will always be corruption. I say always again as an absolute. You know I don't mean it. But for the time being, there is some corruption. So I'm just saying, guys, I'm just saying. Kind of what I took away from President Trump's speech today. In fact, guys, I did actually uh, want to share with you guys that one moment that really, uh, that really ticked my talk, ladies and gentlemen, so to speak, for lack of a better phrase. So uh, I posted this clip from his speech today at the America First Agenda Summit for America First Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. His first time back in D.C., guys, since January 6th. Uh, gave just about under two hours of a presentation, but this was, this was the portion of the speech that really made me think those thoughts, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So let me, uh, let me pull that up on the screen real quick, and then we'll jump into a singular President Trump statement, and then we'll jump into today's C-Report. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise, I promise. Okay, so uh, if you want to check this clip out, or if you want to pass it forward on any of your favorite Mere social time. medias, uh, I have it clipped out at Mr. CTV on Rumble. So over at my Rumble page, you can check this out. Title of the clip is President Trump, Make Police Heroes Again, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, let's go ahead and dig into this. If I can get a full screen here. That's a partial full screen. Well, I'm not getting a full full screen here for some reason, but it's all good. I shall give you the full screen. Let's try this. All right. Let's check it out, guys. Real quick, real quick. Why don't we? Oh, that's why. I see. I see. Bam! Bomb! Enjoy. concept of defunding the police should never again be stated or even heard. It is so ridiculous and so dangerous. Likewise, the idea of stripping them of their liability shields. Think of that. They're in trouble. Go out and hire your own lawyer. We're not going to protect you. We cannot strip them of their liability shield in any way, shape, or form. We have to stay with our police officers. You're never going to have the great officers that we've had over the years. Our police officers are heroes performing a great public service at great personal risk. It's an unbelievably dangerous job. And by the way, more dangerous today by far, by far than it has ever been. Rare mistakes are made, but we cannot allow every isolated policing mistake to be turned into a national crisis and all power taken away from our police so that people are killed all over the streets of our country. The radical left's anti-police narrative is a total lie. Let's call it the big lie. Have you ever heard that expression before? The big lie. That's why next year our new majorities in Congress should vote to strengthen qualified immunity and other protections for our great police officers. They have to become our heroes. They are mine, but some people they don't feel that way. They're going to have to feel that way if we're going to have a great country and a safe country. Our law enforcement heroes of our time, they do their duty to protect U.S. citizens and to protect everybody, whether it's our country or other countries coming in to pay their respects to the United States, which they do less and less now because they're afraid to come in. They see all the stories of safety and the lack of safety. 
but we must uphold our duty to protect our police officers second because of the radical Democrats and because of what they've done, driving record numbers of officers to resign, retire or quit. The police work all together. The new Congress should immediately pass emergency funding to hire and retain tens of thousands more police officers all across our country. To go in the opposite direction. I haven't seen in a long time any bills wanting to be passed where they give the police strength. It's always where let's take more away, let's take more away, let's take immunity, let's take everything we can, take their pensions. If they speak a little bit too tough, can't do that anymore. Our country is going to hell. It's going to hell very fast. It's a very unsafe place. We need the largest increase in the hiring of police officers in American history. And that's what this will be. And we'll get that done. I have no doubt, Kevin, we'll get that done. Steve, we'll get that done. To get more police on the streets than ever before, walking every beat and with great respect. There should be a squad car on every corner if that's what it takes to stop Okay, sorry guys, I popped up a little bit earlier than I intended to, but, well, there you go. That's exactly uh, what I was thinking whenever President Trump was saying that. I was like, you know, if we get good people into the ranks of our law enforcement officers, there's no telling how much uh, corruption good people will just bear down on these individuals. And uh, in my opinion, that's something that we need, ladies and gentlemen, about what you guys think. But that is definitely my thought on the situation, ladies and gentlemen. So very good speech today delivered by President Trump. First time back in Washington, D.C. this afternoon. We played it live here at about 3 p.m. today. And uh, yeah, it was a good speech. Good speech. Same, Some of the same old stories, ladies and gentlemen. But for the most part... For the most part, still a wonderful event. Uh, let's see what we got going on up here. We got Aurelius Locke in the uh, chat room today. I don't know. Let's see. I might be missing some of you guys. Let me pull this up a little bit more. The Patriot 1776. <laughs> Sorry. The Patriot says, and Mr. C is going to be late to his own funeral. Fortunately, it was only three minutes today, ladies and gentlemen. It was only three minutes today. My audience knows I tend to run a little bit late, but I, I've been better than I have uh, lately in the past few uh, days or so. Days, I said, not weeks or months. Anyhow, uh, let's see. Tam growls in the house. Good evening, Tam growl. Evening, Angel. And uh, what else do we got? Aurelius Locks is, uh, was looking up a Walmart near... Okay, oh, wait, Wally World. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, let's see. What else? Who else is hanging out today before we get into uh, the show that will get us on the road? Wow, see, what an intro. Oh, I'm glad you like that. I did uh, 20 miles today while I go in. The rhino panel today or what? That a rhino panel today or what? Rhino panel. Oh, boy. That sounds festive, doesn't it? Uh, anytime those rhinos get together. Are we talking rhinos today? Um, actually, 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 if, if I may say so, since you brought up the topic of the rhino, Miss Tam Growl, uh, there, I, I would highly recommend... And this is particularly to um, this audience, right, um, for Mr. CTV's audience, right, and maybe anyone else who really understands 
what is going on in Russia and Ukraine, okay? Because you remember how yesterday I was going on and on about using uh, Carrie Lake and President Trump and election audits as a kind of uh, guidepost as to uh, who you should look at. You know, look at your politicians. What are they saying? Are, do they sound like Carrie Lake? Do they sound like Trump? Uh, do they think that the 2020 elections were stolen? Do you think everything was good, right? Ask those questions of your elected officials, or I should say selected officials, right? When it comes to Russia and Ukraine, this is actually another way to try and figure out where these people stand, okay? It's just like um, I played for you guys that clip of, um, what was that guy's name? John Ratcliffe, right? Former DNI, uh, talking Russia and Ukraine, sounding like a globalist, ladies and gentlemen, sounding like a globalist. So I would definitely say that you can use Russia, Ukraine as another type of guidepost only if you know, you're comfortable with doing such things. And, you know, they did discuss Russia and Ukraine during this America First Policy Institute summit to, uh, today and yesterday. I intend to go back and listen to what their thoughts and opinions were on this entire debacle, because that's going to be another way to know. You got John Ratcliffe sounding like a globalist saying we got to destroy Russia. And I just saw a clip uh, it was last night or earlier today with Marsha Blackburn, right? Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, okay? Uh, some people revere Marsha Blackburn, you know, but she kind of showed her true colors when it came down to January 6th. And she was like, well, I was going to vote to send my electors back to the House of Tennessee. But then all of Trump's people came and stormed the Capitol. And because of that, I'm going to, what, turn my back on the Constitution? Because people came and rioted, I'm going to go ahead and sell out America, Marsha Blackburn. Then we got Marsha Blackburn saying, I really, really do admire President Zelensky for everything that he's doing to make sure that President uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia doesn't expand their forces. Watch and learn, ladies and gentlemen, when you are looking at these people, Okay. Spoken like a true globalist and acting like one also, Marsha Blackburn. So you can take your cape and your crown of America first off, all right? And you might as well put it under your foot because that's just the way you're acting. You know, they will make some concessions, right? They will do what they have to do to maintain their position of power. But I rest assured, rest assured guys, if her handlers, Marsha Blackburn I'm talking about, if her handlers came out and said, we need you to do this, Marsha Blackburn, I don't care if it makes your constituents hate you, I don't doubt she would do it, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm just using Marsha Blackburn as an example of the rhinos out there and the rhinocery out there, ladies and gentlemen. These people were never ever, ever going to help us to begin with. They were going to take us to the mountaintop, but they were not going to take us to the promised land, just like Alex Jones. And I don't care if he was on Steve Bannon. That doesn't make him a good guy, okay? I don't care. That actually makes me question Steve Bannon. But my resolutions on Alex Jones are still the same, okay? They're still the same. I don't care. You know what? I'll tell you what. They, uh, we restore our republic, right? We get our constitutional path set again just right. And if Alex Jones is there in that promised land with us, ladies and gentlemen, 
I would go right up to him, shake his hand, and he'd say, well, who the hell are you? <laughs> Anyways, guys, okay, let's get off of that. Let's get off of that. I'm just, you know, you know, you want someone extra particular, you know, hanging out around you guys, someone who's extra particular, not someone who's just gonna run around with the next current that flows through the Patriot scene. I'm just saying, guys, my my job and my duty here is to share as much of the uh, uh, truth that is as accurate as possible, because not everyone has the time to do it. You know, that's why I don't bring you insider stuff. I don't bring you, uh, uh, I got an insider, I got this connection, I got that connection, I'm this or I'm that, or I used to work for this or work for that. No, 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 no. This is simple everyday blue collar analysis of the headlines in the news that I'm blessed to have the time to get through and to share with you guys. And that's how I spend my time, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what I do. So anyhow, guys, let's see what we else got going on. I heard Raisin Kane, trans swimmer and trans weightlifter stories enough. Oh, I just love to hear about Raisin Kane, though. <laughs> I love to hear about Raisin Cane, though, Aurelius Locke. That's, those stories are my favorite stories, probably. Uh, did you hear the one about where they were landing in, I think it was like Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or something? And uh, uh, I never heard this story until the Austin um, American Freedom Tour uh, rolled through a couple of months ago. I never heard this story about Raisin Cane and about, uh, about landing with no uh, landing strip and... Uh, <laughs> in the deserts of the Middle East somewhere. That was, a, that was a fun story. He didn't tell that story today, but that was a fun story. It was a really good story, actually. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, Tam Growl, thank you for gifting the shades. Where are my shades? Where are my shades? Oh, I don't got my shades near me. I, I would throw my shades on right now since you gifted me some shades. I appreciate that, hun. Thank you so much uh, for your donation. Uh, Raven2000, I want a pillow. We'll purchase one once... Uh, once I move to put on my recliner. All right. <laughs> well, lucky you, Miss Raven 2000, depending on depending on your timetable for moving and stuff like that. Uh, we may run. I may run that special that 1776 reborn special promo code at shop. Mr. C TV uh, through the end of the summer. So uh, you just let me know, ma'am. You just let me know. Aurelius Locke is still looking for his underoos. We're working on it, sir. <laughs> he wants a Mr. C pox monkey. <laughs> That's a good one. Maybe I could, I don't know. I'm a, maybe I could find a way to make a monkey uh, with little Mr. C faces all over it, right? Like it's got C pox. <laughs> oh my goodness. You guys are too much. And uh, good evening again. Hey, Awakened Mom, how are you doing today? Good to see you, sweetie. And also uh, Raven2000, Tam Growl, Aurelius Locke, all of you fine, uh, cool friends. Dpatriot1776, thank you for gifting the cookie, Dpatriot. Uh, and give my regards to the hubby, by the ways. I know uh, when I met him, uh, he said he's usually, uh, he's usually there in the background giving a listen. So uh, say howdy, howdy do, and hello for me. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you both when I had the opportunity. <laughs> Awaken Mom says, are you talking about the congressional drug dealers? Oh, Awaken Mom, way to put them on blast, right? <laughs> Good call that. Good call that, Awakened Mom. <laughs> That's awesome. 
That is awesome. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Aurelanon, what's up, buddy? Thanks for gifting 117 gold pills. Good evening, Queen Peckerwood. Good to see you. Good to see you. And uh, let's see what else do we got here. You know what? Y'all guys are talking about. I posted some photographs over at the Foxhole.app of our uh, of our meetup. Was like two 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 Saturdays ago? A Saturday ago? Two Saturdays ago? Yeah, you know, I don't think I got a photo with you, Tam Growl, except for in the uh, group photo. Boo! Boo! <laughs> it's okay. She says she really dislikes being photographed anyhow, so. <laughs> I would never know. I would never know. D-Patriot says, Our black brothers and sisters have been abused and abused by the De Democrat Party for so long. Thank goodness. We're all waking up now, right? Thank goodness. Aurelius Locke says, I still have that keep that prick away from me design. I can update it with the monkeypox uh, vax instead of the COVID-19. That would be awesome, Aurelius. Um, I should, well, you know, yeah, actually that would be really cool. I was doing a keep a prick away, keep your prick away from me design um, for the store and it was declined, okay? It was declined by the uh, the manufacturer, I guess, because I violated some term of service. It was either all of the needles aimed at Fauci like he was some kind of a um, some kind of a, uh, a dartboard or it was the phrase keep your prick away from me that violated the term of service whichever one it was I'm not sure but I think with your design I could maybe get away with it because uh, the, the technical building shirt stuff like uh, basically they had an algorithm that tipped them off to the prick word because uh, it, it was actually spelled out on the shirt <laughs> Anyways, that's awesome. Thank you, sir. That would be really cool. I'd love to love to love to see what we could do with that. Would love to love to see it. Wait, how did I scare you guys? Okay. <laughs> I'm saying I scared. Apparently, I scared Tam Growl and, awake, uh, and Queen Peckerwood, right? <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. Good job. Good, good call, guys. Good call. Oh, and one more comment from Awakened Mom. Uh, the black family has been decimated by the left. They found leaders willing to sell out their own communities. So sad. And quite often it is exactly, exactly like that. Ladies and gentlemen, Patriot 1776 is bringing in some more truth. Says most police patches have the Masonic symbols on them. That's another, that's another thing, guys. That's it. You know, and I don't, I don't mean to, uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to say, you know, it's just like Justin... Amersh from Cannabis and Combat was saying, he was like, when I'm sheriff, if you're part of some type of secret society, sorry, you don't run for office. Well, not that when he's sheriff, right? But what he was saying is when the ideal thing to do would be to make sure that if people are running for office or people are um, elected officials or anything with the government, Honestly, anything to deal with the government, if they are a member of a secret society like a Freemason or whatever, dozens and dozens and dozens of other secret societies are out there that ha they're just like globalists. If you think about it, they're just like globalists. They have no national boundary. They have no national pride. They have no sense of loyalty to their culture and their heritage, unless their heritage is indeed from like whenever the Freemasons began. But uh, yeah, get that crap off of their badges. Get that crap out of government. You know, you want to talk about separation of 
uh, religion and state, which is totally, totally not even what the founding fathers were talking about, right? When we're talking about separation of a church and state, we're talking about not having a theocracy, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about no prayers in school and no God in the, uh, in, in the Pledge of Allegiance. We're talking about we don't have a theocracy. We don't have a single president or or prime minister or king or queen appointed by God. Separation of church and state. Okay? So the same thing should be said about these uh, secret societies. Separation of secret societies and state. I know your society is a secret, okay? But if you're a member, you should not be working in our government. And you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that's one of the things that got him silenced, ladies and gentlemen. God rest his soul and God bless his family, ladies and gentlemen. But that is, that's an angle not many people pull. If you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, that's an angle not many people pull. How many of you people in this audience are members of the Freemasons? Okay, I know at least one or two of you guys. So, you, you, we are watching you guys, okay? We're watching you guys. Because after all, you might talk the talk, but your loyalties are to something that has nothing to do with America. And when they call you up to bat, we're going to see your face, okay? All right. So God rest his soul. God bless, God love Justin Amersh of Cannabis and Combat. Okay. All right. Let's see what else we got in here before we dip into... Hey, Mr. West, what is going on? Good to see you here, sir, in the house. Glad you're joining us this afternoon. <laughs> Tam Growl, Marsha Blackburn is as true as a $3 bill. You better watch it. We know that actually makes some sense there because if you guys have ever seen a $3 bill, who's on the $3 bill, guys? Do you guys know who's on the $3 bill, right? <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> as true as a $3 bill Clinton, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hey, Sean Joe, what's up? Thanks for gifting the cookie. Appreciate it, sir. Rhinoceroses, the disease of the establishment. Or was it rhinoceroses? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one, Raven2000. Rhinoceroses, the disease of the establishment. You mind if I make a shirt out of that, Raven2000? <laughs> Hey, hey, enjoy, enjoy your time, Mr. West. Don't work too hard. And thanks for uh, hanging out and saying hello, sir. Oh, Sean Joe, I appreciate that. He says, Mr. C, you are a little more sophisticated than blue collar. Trust me, this collar might be white, but it's pretty blue. Okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, that's something. You guys are doing great this afternoon, it seems like. You guys are doing amazing. All right, guys. Let's get into our first and only President Trump statement for this evening, actually. We only have one, uh, you know, but customarily speaking, I got to get the boss on the screen first, right? He's going to be like, how are you going to have statements from my desk and you don't even show a picture of me at my desk? <laughs> he would never say such a thing. But nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, we got a classic, we got a vintage style statement from President Trump today. As soon as I get this thing lined up. Okay, here we go, guys. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I am ready. Ladies and gentlemen. Ha! 
That is too funny. Sean Joe says, I'm starting to see Marsha Blackburn as a female Lindsey Graham. Does that mean she's a lesbian? <laughs> Anyways, okay, let's check out this President Trump statement. It's a long one. It says, incredible how the New York Times just never gives up. One of their third-rate columnists wrote a story on Saturday saying that despite almost universal victories in every major race, Trump may be losing his power. The article, written by Ross Douthat, or Douthat, or Douthat, doesn't cover minor events like the fact that on Tuesday, the great state of Maryland, um, in the great state of Maryland, Dan Cox, a person not known but strongly endorsed by me, absolutely destroyed the endorsed and highly campaigned for candidate of Rhino Governor Larry Hogan. This was a big upset. Fox News said it could not happen. Likewise, uh, with my endorsement, J.D. Vance came from low in the polls to the front of the pack in Ohio. Dr. Oz was also losing substantially, but went up like a rocket ship once he was endorsed by me. Ted Budd went from 3% to almost 60%, beating a former governor by a record amount. Blake Masters in Arizona was in third place, but because I endorsed him, he's now leading by big numbers likewise. Carrie Lake was one of eight candidates, and now she is, perhaps by a wide margin, in first place. In Wisconsin, I endorsed Tim Mitchells, a man not well known but extremely successful, and he is now leading for governor. In Texas, I was 33 and 0. Every single person I endorsed won, likewise for most other candidates. Perfect in 23 states so far. Undefeated in all United States Senate primaries, and that would be at 13 to 0, to 13 to 0. And now others, Missouri and Michigan, are waiting for me to endorse one way or another. They say whoever I endorse will win. There are far too many races to discuss on our Truth Social platform, which in my opinion is far better than Twitter, but just like the New York Times got a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, only to since report that the story was a fake, it was a made-up fairy tale of zero truth or consequence, their story about my possible weakening power is fake news. That does not mention any of these recent victories. P.S. The Times should give up its manufactured Pulitzer Prize for reporting on Russia, 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 which was the exact opposite of the facts. They got it all wrong. The only thing they should get a Pulitzer Prize for is writing fake news. Likewise, the Washington Compost. I will say that there are disadvantages to having this before uh, having this never before seen endorsement power i endorsed mitch mcconnell who was going to lose in a record fashion and he ended up winning i endorsed brian kemp in georgia who's going to come in last place and he won in a landslide and i endorsed some others who have not been good to me but i will never be good to them 
either. The true story is that my endorsements have been, by any standard, amazing. Stronger than ever seen before in our country's history. If the opposite case were true, I would be fine with strong reporting on it. But as long as it's not, report the news correctly and accurately. Make America great again. Sorry, guys, you couldn't see that end there. I was trying to get, I was trying to get up on the screen for you. Here. There we go. Make America great again, ladies and gentlemen. Boom. Oh, wait. oh that's why it's not. Hi. Okay, let me get this. Let me get this off the screen and let me get that back on. There we go. That's the button we're looking for. All right, guys. Make America great again. Make America great again. All right. Yeah, well, you know, Tam Growl does have a point there. This is not a game, Mr. Trump. Please don't treat it as such. You know, something like that was going through my head as I was reading that statement, Tam Growl. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. I mean, he's playing for his numbers. And, um, well, that's at the... Uh, that's at the um, discernment of us, what he's doing, really, ladies and gentlemen. We have to see what's going to happen in Las Vegas. We have to see what's going to happen in Pennsylvania. I had a story pulled up somewhere about uh, about um, um, Oz, for example, Mehmet Oz, you know, because he's kind of like, well, I can tell you why no one's donating to my campaign anymore. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Kathy Barnett, run third party. Okay, you know, that's going to be the party that counts in the end because uh, after all, the uh, first two parties are totally, totally, what's the word? Monopolized by the uniparty establishment government that's currently in operation in our country. Yep, I know. I know. It's going to take a little bit of uh it's going to take a little bit of um a dissonance on the part of our conscience, ladies and gentlemen, for some of us to wrap our head around it and finally see what it is that we need to do. But nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, we shall get it done. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. What's going on, Creative Writer? What is going on? Good to see you again. Glad you're joining us this evening and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. So uh, let's see here. What's on our menu? Ladies and gentlemen, let's move right into it. I had had this other thought, uh, but we can, we, can wait, we can wait on it. We're going to talk Russia, Ukraine at this moment. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. 
from $0.99 per month to $4.99 per month to $9.99 per month. Every donation counts, and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report. And thanks, y'all. So the Russia special military operation in Ukraine. We'll talk about this for a little bit today, guys. We got a lot of ground to cover in this regard. A lot of stuff has been going on with this situation. Uh, And you know, as you know, I like to try and report on this at least once a week to keep us all abreast and up to date with everything that's going on on that side of the world. Um, Needless to say... Um, the operation has gone on at such a length of time that there is more opportunity for the forces of Ukraine, uh, the West, and also the Nazi and ultranationalist forces within that country to try and find a way to flip the script on Putin. They've been trying to do it the entire time, ladies and gentlemen, the entire time they have been trying to flip that script. They've been trying to say Russia's losing. They've been trying to say Putin's dying. They've been trying to say Russia is invading Ukraine to take it over and uh, and capture as part of their ultra um, Soviet um, plan. And all of this has been untrue. Okay. They've said Putin is invading Russia. They've said Putin is this, Putin is that. Uh, what else do we got spilling out of the um, out of the uh, the toilets of the legacy media in regard to Russia and Ukraine? <laughs> Here's not one that you want to see all the time. Uh, this is Fiona Hill. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what the legacy press headlines are saying first. Okay, before we jump into the reality of the situation. Um, And uh, so one of the things that we have that came up on the menu for today was a story about Fiona Hill. And this was in relationship to Russia and to President Trump's um, international policies, right? And so apparently there's this brand new book coming out. Uh, I don't remember the name of the book, although the big lie. Okay, you know, I, I say I don't like the, I don't remember the name of the name of the book, but I really just don't want to share the name of the book because I don't want to advertise it or anything like that. Um, but there's a new book that came out that shares this story about Fiona Hill wanting to fake a heart attack to stop Trump from supporting Russia. <laughs> What on earth are these deep state rats going to come up with next, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you that. Here's from the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird, propaganda, media, press. A story about that says uh, Fiona Hill considered faking a heart attack to get President Trump to stop siding with Vladimir Putin. Okay, so yeah, the book is called The Big Lie, but who cares? It says here that uh, Mike Allen of Axios shared a snippet from the book in which uh, Lee Meyer claims Trump's Russia at a Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, the lying Fiona Hill, the dirt rat Fiona Hill, where she almost took an extreme measure to quiet him during a speech in Helsinki, Finland. 
It says here, Fiona Hill, the senior Russia expert on the National Security Council, who was sitting one row in front of me, later told me that she considered doing something, anything, including faking a heart attack to disrupt the proceedings and to get Trump to stop talking. For context, Trump stated he had no reason to believe Russia was interfering in the United States elections after meeting with Putin. U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies had determined Russia was behind broad efforts to influence outcomes at the ballot box in 2016. After visiting with Putin in private, Trump asked Trump was asked about Russian election meddling. President Putin says it's not Russia, Trump responded. I don't see any reason why it would be. The former president's comments sparked an immediate backlash at home. We must continue to work with our allies to counter Russia's influence around the world. So saith Elise Stefanik. Now, I know we're all busy. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we all have our lives to leave. We all have our nine to five. We all have our 17 plus hours a day, right? But if you're going to be a Republican National Committee chairperson, you had better damn well have your international politics down. Because we're in a day and age where we can clearly recognize that this Russia, Russia, Russophobia is all propaganda, okay? And, 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 you know, maybe you could consider it a necessary propaganda if you choose to believe that um, the United States must always maintain its stance as the dominant world power. Fine, I get it. You know what? I get it. I'm all about, you know, uh, nationalism and being the best country on this planet, you know? And so I get if Elise Stefanik is working from that window, which is United States always has to be better than Russia. So we will always use the type of language that says we need to counter Russia's influence around the world. Fine. I get it. And I can respect that. But if you're trying to tell me that we need to protect Ukraine, Right. And we need to uh, work within Ukraine's interests and the Nazis interests and the globalists interests and all the money laundering and corruption that's going through the, and trafficking that's going through that country, Elise Stefanik, then we've got another conversation to have. Right, ladies and gentlemen. Am I right? I think so. I think I think I said that squarely. It says here from Senator Ben Sassy. Okay, oh, well, we don't even need to wonder about this. We already know what Ben Sassy's a globalist, right? He says, America wants a good relationship with the Russian people, but Vladimir Putin and his thugs are responsible for Soviet-style aggression. Now, we all know that President Putin was working in the Russian government at a point during the reign of the Soviet Union, but that time has Long since passed, guys. I mean, there are communist parties that work inside of Russia. There are communist parties that exist within that nation, but they are not communist, ladies and gentlemen. That ended two decades or more ago, okay? More, more than that, right? More than that, more than two decades ago, that ended, okay? But this little sassy, Ben Sass says, when the president plays these moral equivalence games, he gives Putin a propaganda win he desperately needs. Mm. 
<laughs> you know, Fiona Hill looks like the kind of person that would fake a heart attack just to get President Trump to stop saying stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, guys. I'm just saying. Uh, but they, they've got to revisit some other things here, too, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, they've got to revisit some other things here as well. Uh, they're revisiting uh, President Trump's phone call. With uh, Vladimir Putin. Take a... L Vladimir Putin. My bad. Vladimir Zelensky. It's Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Zelensky. I need to get that right. Sorry about that, guys. Take a look at this uh, photograph here of uh, Vladimir Zelensky and uh, President Trump. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on with Zelensky? Ladies and gentlemen... What is going on with Zelensky? He looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's almost laughable. It is almost laughable how uncomfortable he looks. He's like, you bastard. <laughs> Call my country corrupt. Um, let's see what this uh, little snippet has here. Hey, excuse you. Excuse you. Excuse you. Excuse you. Uh, I wanted to play this clip here. It says, um, senior advisor to Ukrainian President Zelensky describes the phone call with Trump. Do you think they're going to get some new dirt out of this or what? Because that's, kind of, that's kind of what it feels like they are fishing for. Uh, let's, let's hear what he has to say, ladies and gentlemen. And after the perfect phone call, we realized that, you know, we had our work cut out for us. July 25th, 2019. It's a day Igor Novikov will never forget. As a senior advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, it was crucial he be in the room for a phone call with then U.S. President Donald Trump. But he says what should have been a conversation about a visit to the White House took a strange turn. Obviously, as a new president, he was expecting to, uh, to go to the White House, to go to D.C. and start that relationship with the United States, who's our main ally and partner. And, you know, there are a few misunderstandings there. But, you know, by that time, we're reading, you know, between the lines and reading what, you know, Rudy and President Trump were after quite well. So obviously, there was some surprise, that, you know, President Trump was so explicit in his messaging. That messaging pressure to investigate former vice president and then candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, had been pushing Zelensky's aides on this topic for a while, starting almost immediately after Zelensky was elected. The goal, to convince Zelensky to announce a probe into a Ukrainian gas company associated with Joe Biden's son Hunter. Giuliani, Giuliani also pushed for Zelensky. I'm just gonna pause it there, guys, because we've already been through this. We've already been through this. The entire world knows. We go to the creport.com, look at our blog. We have the entire transcript of that phone call, okay? Published on our website, all right? Go and look at that phone call transcript. The world knows, okay? The impeachment trials proceeded, the transcripts were leaked. Everyone knows, everyone has seen illegitimate Joe sit in front of an audience during a meeting for the center, pardon me, for the um, CFR, ladies and gentlemen, during a meeting of the CFR and tell them 
Well, I told that president if he didn't call off that uh, that um, if he didn't call off that investigation into into um, into uh, what's going on with um, Hunter, my son. Well, he didn't say my son, but you know, I told that he didn't call off the investigation that they wouldn't receive their money, and uh, they were like, "Well, uh, you know, you're not the president, so you can't make that decision." Well, son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. They went ahead and they called it off, right? You know, and so they called it. Everyone, everyone has seen that clip. Everyone knows. And yet you still have what? This is newsy, newsy, newsy. They're still going to try and spread these lies. They're still going to try and and tell everyone these deceptions about that moment in our nation's history and in President Trump's personal history as president of this country. Ladies and gentlemen, isn't this not ridiculous? They're rehashing it again, okay? Just so maybe it'll catch, maybe it'll catch some other low information. I don't care about anyone but myself kind of individual out there. And they'll never realize that this story's already said and done with. We're done with the phone call, but here they go, trying to rehash it. ...to investigate baseless claims that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 election. I mean, we, we, we chose the strategy of playing dumb and stalling as much as we can. So our objective was to not get involved, and President Zelensky was explicit about that. You know, he... He told me like early on that, you know, our policy is to do whatever we can not to get involved into U.S. US domestics. According to a White House transcript released months later, Zelensky asked about buying Javelin anti-tank missiles. Trump responded, quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though. He then asked Zelensky to look into the election conspiracy theory as well as Biden's son. I mean, we jumped through a lot of hoops. And once that kind of conversation concluded, obviously nobody expected that it was going to be, you know, public uh, knowledge. And there was, there was going to be an impeachment or a transcript or anything. So we were somewhat relieved and we actually had ice cream once, once we hung up the phone. A sweet celebration for Zelensky and his team, but it didn't last long. Shortly after the call ended, President Trump ordered the Office of Management and Budget to withhold nearly $400 million in military assistance funds meant to help Ukraine defend against Russia. As for the White House invitation, Zelensky never got one until Joe Biden became president. But for President Trump, the call marked the beginning of a long road that ultimately led to his first impeachment trial. The impeachment was a bit of a surprise, but to be honest, once I kind of heard the uh, tone and the messaging on that call, I kind of, I knew it was not going to end well for uh, for either the uh, U.S.-Ukraine relationship or for the uh, for the administration, you know, in the White House at the time, because, like, look, it wasn't heard of, it wasn't uncalled, uncalled for, and, you know, it was threatening to both countries. Fast forward now three years to the day, the relationship between the U.S. and Ukraine looks quite different. The U.S. has now provided billions of dollars in aid to Ukraine since Russia invaded the country in February. Yeah, and they get that all wrong, too. <clears throat> very particular about words, I am. Very particular about words. Excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you. Very particular about words, I am, ladies and gentlemen, in that regard. It's not an invasion, okay? It's a special military operation, Ladies and gentlemen, here's uh, another little bit of a roundup for some of the... Uh, this is kind of like a Russia-Ukraine-US relations type of segment I'm doing right now at the moment. Uh, here's another one that we got. Apparently, apparently because, you know, um, 
Tulsi Gabbard likes to talk about regime change, and Rand Paul usually has his head, has his nose on the ball. Um, they are being considered Russian bots. You know, they are spreading Russian propaganda. Now, I'll be absolutely honest with you guys. I have not been paying attention to what Rand Paul has been saying about Russia. Actually, I haven't been paying attention to much of what Rand Paul has been saying, except for whenever, you know, he's talking about COVID-19 and and some things that are particular to his home state of Kentucky. But, um, you know, uh, I could only imagine that uh, he probably sounds a little bit like his father, you know, in regards to international relationships, ladies and gentlemen, and in regards to the reality of the situation when we're talking about um, occurrences like we're seeing in Ukraine. And Tulsi Gabbard just kind of looks freaky in this picture. Let's see what this article has to say about Tulsi Gabbard and Rand Paul. Uh, this is another lamestream, shamestream, fake news media article. So take it with a grain of salt, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Ukraine accuses Tulsi Gabbard and Rand Paul of promoting Russian propaganda. Oh, this is just classic, guys, because we got Ukraine. Ukraine is going to accuse them of uh, of uh, Russian propaganda. Okay, 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 Ukraine. Okay, Ukraine. You know, apparently Ukraine's really filling themselves. They've been filling themselves since the end of February. Article says Ukraine's Center for Countering Disinformation. Whoa, that sounds totally Orwellian, right? Ukraine's Center for Countering Disinformation announced Monday that it had compiled a list of American citizens who have been promoting Russian propaganda. The center, which Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky created in 2021, named Senator Rand Paul, former Rep uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, journalist Glenn Greenwald, retired U.S. Colonel Douglas McGregor, academic John Mearsheimer, and military historian Edward Lutwak. Gabbard and Greenwald have endorsed the theory, which Russia promotes and Ukraine denies, that there are dozens of U.S.-funded biolabs in Ukraine. In the early days of the invasion, McGregor told Fox News that Zelensky was a puppet and was putting huge numbers of his own population at unnecessary risk by refusing to cave to Russian President, President Vladimir Putin's demands. Uh, Amir Scheimer delivered a lecture in 2015 with the title, Why is Ukraine the West's Fault? And you can actually catch that on YouTube. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it always comes up in my feed. I always see this, this video in my feed that is, the, the name of the video is, Why is Ukraine the West's Fault? And that it must be Mearsheimer. <laughs> wow, I've never watched it, but geez louise. Okay, it continues. Uh, the, the lecture was titled, Why is Ukraine the West's Fault?, in which he argued that the NATO and the EU had driven Ukraine into conflict with Russia by teasing the possibility of membership without ever intending to grant it. Um, Paul made similar statements and has voted against military aid for Ukraine. In April, Lutwak called for a peace deal that would allow disputed territories in the Donbass to hold referendums on whether to join with Russia or remain part of Ukraine. So you get it, right, ladies and gentlemen? 
maybe we should write down the names of the good guys, right? And and we should not even waste our time writing down the names of the rhinos, right? Now, this does not put me on Tulsi Gabbard's side, just so you guys know. I mean, like I said, me uh, me and Tulsi, we agree on regime change things around the world. Uh, we apparently agree on biolabs in Ukraine, but that don't mean that I'm going to vote for her for president, right? That don't mean I'm going to put my full faith and trust in her, am I? No, she's a World Economic Forum rat. And that will always be the birthing pool of a nascent globalist Decepticon, ladies and gentlemen. And that's basically the way I see a lot of these people. They're all deceivers. They're all globalists. In fact, that's the thought that I had when I was watching President Trump talk at that America First Policy Institute summit today, and he says one thing about elections and about a quarter of the room gives him applause. But when he says in 2024, Republicans will take the House, the whole room lights up. And that's because the whole room knows we need to forget about 2020. We're all operatives here, okay? And uh, we cannot allow the American people to know that there is election fraud and theft occurring. So let's just move on to 2024, President Trump. The whole room lights up. But you talk about the big lie. You talk about the theft of 2020. And only a quarter of that room would applause for him. Okay? Let that be an example. Right? One in four are good guys. In that room, the rest of them are all operatives, globalists, self-interested. They are not good for this nation or the people, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and finish. But that, you know, what was this? Uh, this uh, this Lootwalk guy? What, what was this guy's name? What was, what was his name? Lootwalk. 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 Uh, oh, military historian Edward Lootwalk says that they should hold referendums for any of the region of Ukraine that wants to separate from that Nazi globalist nation and go back with Russia. I mean, Crimea, we saw it happen there. In um, Luhansk and Donetsk, which is what this entire Russia special military operation is all about, we saw it happen there. There's a fourth region of Ukraine that wants to enter into referendum to join Russia. That's the region of Kherson, K-H-E-R-S-O-N. We won't cover that much tonight, but you better believe I'll be keeping my eye on that one, ladies and gentlemen, because that's the fourth region of Ukraine that wants to get away from these Ukra-Nazi nationalist um, globalist um, um, murderers, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Very interesting, at least to me it is. Okay, and uh, the uh, article finishes this way. Fox News host Tucker Carlson, a frequent critic of Zelensky's government, said Monday night that Ukraine is not a democracy in any recognizable sense and accused Zelensky of attempting to impose censorship in our country. Hmm. Censorship in our country by Zelensky. Why do I feel like I have an article that's kind of like about that somewhere? Let me see if I can't pull that up quick here first. You know, I try and get these things in order, but there is just so much to go through. 
Ridiculous, ridiculous. No, 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 no. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's another article I have somewhere off to the side. But either way, guys, well, there you go. So that's kind of uh, what the pulse is nationwide regarding uh, what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. But then there's also this one, ladies and gentlemen. And you got to believe as frustrated as this man, he's like, again, he's like, how many heart attacks am I going to have? How many, how many blood-borne cancer uh, diseases am I going to have? How many times am I going to be assassinated? How many times am I going to have, like, some kind of uh, a, a sick and debilitating disease that is going to kill me? I mean, it's all part of the propaganda, ladies and gentlemen. It's all part of the propaganda, you know? Every time you open up your web browser and you have all of your news stories flashing across that MSM uh, fake news uh, uh, spinning wheel right? It's, oh, Putin's dying. Oh, Putin, he's got cancer. Oh, Putin's jaundice. Oh, Putin's kidneys failed. Oh, Putin has a bad liver. Oh, Putin drinks too much vodka. Oh, Putin has, uh, I don't know, some kind of neurotic disease. Putin this, Putin that, Putin this, Putin that. It's all the same BS, guys. It's all the same BS. It's been one of the longest running themes throughout this entire thing, is that Putin is in ill health. And you know, you get, you, this is all about, of course, uh, giving some semblance of hope towards the Nazi soldiers in Ukraine, demoralizing the Russians, assisting the West's narrative so that this way when they go in there and they shoot him with a cancer gun or something like that, he dies. And they can say, well, we told you he was going to die, right? But right now, the name of the game, I would say, is probably that... Um, they want regime change in Russia. Okay. And uh, let's see here. Putin is allergic to bees, says Avenging Pineapple. <laughs> Putin is allergic to bees. I didn't even know bees had meat on them, sir. Uh, we don't eat bugs here in America, sir. We eat beef and pork and chicken. Okay. <laughs> Mm. Anyhow, anyhow, what are you guys talking about in the chat room over there? Who was at a World Economic Forum meeting? Hogan? Yeah, we got we got Hogan on the minds right now, ladies and gentlemen. But anyhow, so yeah, so the, here's your here's your here's your narrative, right? Here's here's some of the latest on Putin dying. Okay. Check this one out. This one came out not, I think this one's from today about Putin. <laughs> watch this, uh, not watch this, but uh, check this out. It says, Ukraine, Russia news. Putin suffers late night health scare as dictator hit with severe nausea. They're going to be like, Putin had diabetes. No, wait, Putin had diarrhea. Sorry, sorry. I get the dyes confused sometimes, guys. Putin had diarrhea. He might have some type of uh, disemboweling disease, right? <laughs> okay, severe nausea. Watch out now. Putin is drinking some Pepto-Bismol, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see here. Queen Peckerwood says Putin is allergic to the truth. Queen Peckerwood, can you please justify that comment? I don't know what it means. Now it says here, Vladimir Putin suffered a severe health scare that saw two sets of doctors rush to his bedside this weekend, according to a Telegram channel 
reportedly run by a Russian former intelligence officer, which means that's probably a globalist operative right there, former Russian intelligence officer who probably comes out on like, I don't know, CNN or something like that, right? This is probably a globalist operative, former intelligence officer for Russia, right? Most intelligence officers are globalist hacks, right? It says, Russia's dictator was reportedly suffering from severe nausea, according to the reports. Putin, on the night of Friday, July 22nd to Saturday, July 23rd, needed urgent medical care. At about 1 a.m., the, uh, <laughs> the, the, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't even know, I don't even know, like, the name of a Russian dish, right? I, I'd be like, at about 1 a.m., the bratwurst went bad in his stomach, but that's German, that's not... <laughs> Or you know, that's not Russian, okay? What is a good Russian meal that makes you sick? Ke- chemotherapy? Is that what it is, Avenging Age uh, Pineapple? <laughs> At about 1 a.m., uh, the uh, the pork rinds Putin was eating turned in his stomach, right? Like, <laughs> he had a sudden bout of diarrhea followed by constipation, but he is okay, ladies and gentlemen. It says uh, his residents were summoned uh, to, uh, to the president. Putin claimed of severe nausea 29, 20 minutes later, an additional team of doctors with the president's attending physician was called. The report went on to say that uh, as the war in Ukraine rages on, Putin is likely to be replaced by a body double or even a CGI deep fake. Wah, 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 ladies and gentlemen, wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. It's kind of like how I feel whenever I read or listen to these people talking, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to have a body double or a deep fake. Okay, you know what? What we, We've heard about the body doubles. We've heard about the Putin's failing uh, health and it's in decline, etc. Um, but have we heard about Putin moving around like a hamster, right? <laughs> now Putin is but a hamster, ladies and gentlemen. Take a look at this article. This is from Newsweek. Putin is seriously ill. Looks like a hamster. <laughs> that is Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, you know, journalism right there, right? It says, John Sweeney, a prominent British investigative journalist who has long covered Russian President Vladimir Putin, wrote in his new book that he feels the leader looks seriously ill with puffy cheeks that make him resemble a hamster. In his forthcoming book, Sweeney described changes he has noticed in Putin's demeanor and physical appearance that he said scare him. He theorized the use of steroids for Putin's changes, noting the president could have started taking the medication years ago to treat a back injury sustained after falling off a horse. Oh, God, that's got to be some kind of sick joke, honestly. (laughs) According to Sweeney... This could have led to a pattern of steroid abuse, which can cause a litany of health problems such as major organ damage and tumors. Rumors about Putin's health have been swirling for several months. Some people have cited videos of the Russian president appearing shaky or tense as evidence that he might have Parkinson's disease, even though some medical experts have disputed such talk. In April, an investigative report from Procht Media claimed Putin was accompanied by doctors, including a thyroid cancer surgeon, 
on trips from 2016 to 2019. The report also said Putin may have undergone surgery several years ago, but it did not directly say whether he was diagnosed with cancer or any other illness. In his book, Sweeney said steroid poisoning may be afflicting Putin. It is possible that Vlad, the poisoner, could have ended up poisoning himself. Sweeney wrote, it is possible. He is not a well man, and that raises a question. Would Vladimir Putin, knowing that he has not long to live, kill us all? <laughs> what kind of ideas are these people dreaming up underneath their beds, guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if I'm going to die, you're all going to die. And we'll see who likes that, right? I mean, this is so... It's... It's childish, ladies and gentlemen. These are people who are not developed emotionally or mentally beyond the age of, like, 10, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sweeney described witnessing his steroid abuse before in the case... I apologize. Let me recorrect. Sweeney described witnessing steroid abuse before in the case of a British gangster who took so much that he eventually died when his own heart blew apart. The hyper-aggressive nature displayed by Putin in recent months reminded the writer of the gangster's roid rage. Recalling a time when he encountered Putin in person while reporting for the BBC in 2014, Sweeney said the leader at that time appeared subtle, supple, and spoke calmly with him. But while the Putin of years ago looked like a ferret or a reptile, thin-faced and lean, the Putin of 2022 looks like a hamster, his cheeks stuffed, unhealthy. Could Putin, who has long been accused of ordering the poisoning of critics of his administration, have unintentionally poisoned himself? Sweeney thinks it's possible. And such a fate would be both grimly ironic and funny, haha, so as long as the Kremlin patient does not have control of the world's biggest arsenal of nuclear weapons, however rusty they might be, but he does, ha ha ha. <laughs> Sweeney, you are a moron, okay? <laughs> that guy's ridiculous. Do you want to see a video of Putin shivering like a hamster, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> These people, I tell you, I tell you, take me out of immersive. We want to see Putin shaking like a hamster. <laughs> Wait, we're going to get an ad here. Hold on. Let me uh, silence this B. Okay. All right. <laughs> Wait, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We'll bring it onto the screen for you guys. So you can guys take a gander. Here is puffy hamster cheeks Putin. Um, fidgeting like a hamster, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm guessing in that last clip, and I apologize for the echo, but I'm guessing in that last clip we just saw, 
they're like, he's grabbing the desk and he's lifting his foot every 20 minutes, but we're going to edit the video to make it look like it's every five seconds. If you ask me, it looks like he's got gas. <laughs> if you ask me, it looks like he's got gas. Look, look. If you ask me, it looks like Putin is trying not to fart. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, look at his face. He's holding that desk. He's like, I've got to go. <laughs> why did I? <laughs> He's like, why did I have that last cup of coffee? <laughs> oh, goodness. The caption's just going, the caption is just going on about uh, the Kremlin saying that Putin denies he's dying. Well, I mean, duh, okay. Oh, you keep that guy off my screen. I don't even want to see that jerk. Hey! Okay, anyways, so. <laughs> unfortunately for the West, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately for the West, it seems that Putin dying and even being assassinated might be wishful thinking. Here's something that a United Kingdom military leader had to say in that regard. And uh, this article comes from Benzinga, whatever that is. The article says, um, <clears throat> UK Chief of the Defense Staff Admiral Sir Tony Radikin dismissed speculation about President Vladimir Putin's ill health and a potential assassination attempt on the Russian leader. Britain's armed forces chief dubbed the rumors as wishful thinking and ranged an alarm bell for PM Boris Johnson's successor, saying that Russia poses the biggest threat to the United Kingdom and that the challenge would endure for decades. I think some of the comments that he's not well or that actually surely somebody's going to assassinate him or take him out, I think, I think they're wishful thinking, he told the BBC uh, One's Sun, BBC One's Sunday morning show. As military professionals, we see a relatively stable regime in Russia. President Putin has been able to quash any opposition. We see a hierarchy that is invested in President Putin. And so nobody at the top has got the motivation to challenge President Putin. And that is bleak, said this UK military officer. He further added that Russia's forces may pose less of a threat now, given the suffering and setback from the Ukraine war. According to Radkin, Radikin, Russia continues to be a nuclear power. It's got cyber capabilities, it's got space capabilities, and it's got particular programs underwater so it can threaten the underwater cables that allow the world's information to transit around the globe. This follows rumors related to Putin's deteriorating health amid the Russia-Ukraine war spreading rapidly on the internet in recent months. Intelligence sources of several countries have also reported, purportedly said that Putin has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or early stage dementia. The Kremlin has always laughed off the rumors and said there was no sign of any ailment, right? You know, so they're going to have to tell the truth regardless at some point, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, here's the humdinger. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here is the humdinger. Our, uh, was this, a, a CIA Director Burns? Is that his name right? Director Burns of the CIA? Um, they recently had a security meeting, uh, which I actually need to dig into a little bit more, ladies and gentlemen. We had a security meeting in Aspen, 
uh, over the last few days. And in that meeting, the CIA director, William Burns, not to be confused with Montgomery Burns, okay, uh, he said that, um, well, basically, Putin's extremely healthy, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and that's a problem for the CIA. Let's see what he had to say. Rumors about Putin's failing health addressed. CIA chief says the president is too healthy. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but one can never be too healthy, right? Uh, this is from uh, the business, IB Times. It says, uh, a day after rumors of Vladimir Putin's health resurfaced following his visit to Iran this week, the director of Central Intelligence Agency spoke about the Russian president's condition. William Burns said there was no intelligence suggesting Putin was unstable or in bad health. He also joked the soon-to-be 70-year-old appeared to be too healthy. Um, Burns said at the Aspen Security Forum in Colorado, um, there are lots of rumors about President Putin's health, and as far as we can tell, he's entirely too healthy. Burns, who served as ambassador to Moscow, said it has been more than two decades since he has been dealing with the Russian leader, according to Euronews. Putin is a big believer in control, intimidation, and getting even, the CIA chief said, adding he has become stronger in these traits over the years. He is convinced that his destiny as Russia's leader is to restore Russia as a great power. He believes the key to doing that is to recreate a sphere of influence in Russia's neighborhood, and he cannot do that without controlling Ukraine. See? You see this? He is convinced that his destiny as Russia's leader is to restore Russia as a great power. If you consider the land mass that is Russia, their nuclear capabilities, their military, I think it's kind of like a straw man or a red herring to say that Russia will only return to a great power if they control the entire Soviet bloc of 30 years ago, right? That makes no sense, right? I mean, America is smaller than Russia and is a great, if not the greatest world power. So why would it need more land mass to do that other than, I guess, perhaps to control their enemies, right? But I don't think that that's what Russia's goal is. I don't think that's what Putin's goal is, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think so at all. So anyhow... Hey, Queen Peckerwood, thanks for stopping in again. Have a good time at Mind of Jamal. I gotta say, I've never heard of that one, but uh, give him my regards for Mr. C. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get back into this article. And it says here, For months, rumors have made the rounds that Putin may be suffering from ill health, possibly cancer, on Wednesday. Body language expert Judy James told local media the Russian leader struggled to go down the stairs of his jet after landing Tuesday at Mehrabad Airport in Tehran. Oh, well, you know, you know, Judy James, uh, maybe Putin had a hard time going down the stairs, but did he fall up the stairs three times? That's what I... <laughs> That's what I would like to know. Did he fall up the stairs three times? <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. 
Stairs are tough the older you get. You know, I'm I'm half his age probably, and I already recognize that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see. This idiot says, The man who arrives behind him seems to have no trouble using the steps facing front, but Putin turns sideways and takes the last one clumsily. This could be down to height or even age, but he appears to be making heavy duty of it. A video shared on Twitter purportedly showed Putin's right arm seemingly rigid and stiff as he limped down the red carpet rolled out for him. Last month, Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov rejected rumors about Putin's illness. Peskov said... I can tell you one thing that yesterday, I know, in the afternoon, actually, he played hockey. It's about yesterday. He was playing hockey. So, you know, maybe that's why his arm's stiff. Or maybe that's why he can't get down the stairs, because the man is physically active and he just, like, overworked his muscles the day before. Right? I don't know. I'm not a Putin apologist. I'm not making excuses for Putin. But I know the man is damn well not the same man that the Western media would like us to believe or the leaders of this country. Putin. <laughs> you see, you see, he's like, why do you keep saying I am dying? I am totally fine. Do you know how uh, you are like a gnat, a gnat of ill informed news flying around my head. I am not dying. I do jujitsu. I do jaekwondo. I do hockey. I am healthy. I box. I get eight hours of sleep. <laughs> oh, man. You people probably think I'm crazy. So, you know, if Putin's not dying, if his health is in good repair, if he's not suffering from early onset dementia or even full-blown dementia, ladies and gentlemen. What could it be? Well, this bloke here uh, on the screen, ladies and gentlemen, he's decided he knows exactly what is going on with Putin. The man on the screen is a billionaire investor, okay? And he says that Putin is just plain old mentally ill. Bill Browder Bill Browder, billionaire investor. Putin is mentally ill, a psychopath since childhood, says billionaire investor Bill Browder. Let's see what Bill has. Let's see his line of reasoning, right? Russian President Vladimir Putin has been a psychopath since childhood, a billionaire investor and critic said in a new documentary. In The Secret of the Oligarch Wives. Oh, what? We got the... Uh, do we have the uh, real oligarch wives of uh, Russia coming up now or what? It says, in the secret of the oligarch wives, which will stream on Paramount Plus starting on June 28th, CEO and co-founder of Hermitage Capital Management, Bill Browder, said Putin has been mentally ill since he was a child, adding that he lacks empathy on things that concern the fate of other people. Putin is ill. But not in the way that most pe people think Putin is ill. Putin is mentally ill. But he has been mentally ill as a psychopath since childhood. Putin's illness leads him to lack any empathy, lack any conscience, lack any normal human emotions when it comes to the fate of other 
people. Ladies and gentlemen of the esteemed audience, we have reached a new level of projection. Ladies and gentlemen, a new level of projection. You want to call him a sociopath, you want to call him a psychopath, you want to call him a deceiver, you want to call him someone that does not have any normal human emotions. That makes me think of people like Nancy Pelosi or Chucky Schumer or or any of those jackasses, Mike Pence, any of them, ladies and gentlemen. A new age of projection, ladies and gentlemen. You better watch out, Browder, okay? Because that's all going to come circling back on you when they find out that America's exactly like that, right? I mean, the whole reason for going into the Donbass was to stop the genocide, to stop the killing. Why do you think he would want to do that? Because he wants to take in the Donbass region under his wing and be like, this is Russia now? Right. Even though he told them specifically eight years ago that they would never be part of Russia. And all because of the war games propaganda that the West plays when uh, some regions of Ukraine decide that they don't want to be ruled by Nazis and ultranationalists and people who are otherwise filled with hate, ladies and gentlemen. They don't want that. Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk and now Kherson ladies and gentlemen, all want to be separate. And Kersen's getting set up for a referendum, ladies and gentlemen. How do you think that's going to make Ukraine feel after they've lost the Donbass? They've lost their Nazi forces to Russia. And then the rest of their forces, their Nazi forces, are all... Oh, the rest of their Nazi forces are all being held prisoner. Prisoners of a special military operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is here. Browder is an international investor who once ran the Hermitage Fund, the largest foreign investment fund in Russia. In 2005, he was barred from entering the country after he accused Russian tax officials of corruption and embezzlement. Browder also lobbied for a landmark piece of legislation called the Ma- Mag- Magnitsky Magnitsky Act, which sanctions Russian human rights violators and other officials involved in corruption and abuse of power cases. The landmark legislation was named after Browder's tax advisor, Sergei Magnitsky, who died in a pretrial detention center in Moscow due to what Putin claimed was a heart attack. Magnitsky had been imprisoned by Russian authorities after he blew the whistle on an attempt by the Kremlin's police and tax authorities to steal $230 million in Russian taxes paid by Hermitage Capital. Browder is one of several people who have spoken out about Putin in the new documentary. The film also featured the wives of Russian oligarchs who claimed Putin was a vindictive president who forgives nothing and sees treachery at every turn. And there's Putin once again, ladies and gentlemen. So is President Putin dying? Nope. Much to the chagrin of all of his enemies, Putin is doing just fine, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, you can all sleep a little easier tonight. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Yeah, Putin really does not care for Nazis too much. I think that's probably a true statement. So what is Ukraine doing, ladies and gentlemen, do you think, in order to uh, get back at America? (laughs) Uh, Here's a funny story I think might tickle some of y'all's funny bones about Ukraine. And apparently... Apparently, Ukraine wants to um, wants to pursue war criminal charges, war crimes charges against the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase. What? Against Citibank? Against HSBC? You know, HSBC isn't that uh, isn't that uh, isn't that James Comey's old stomping grounds that he got away with laundering millions of dollars with, and yet got a slap on the wrist and then promoted? to FBI director James Comey. Is that who we're talking about here? That same James Comey? Okay, it's the same James Comey. Comey? Corny? Comey, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Against these banks. So what on earth would they... Why would they be pursuing war criminal charges against these banks? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, uh, if you ask me, it's these kinds of moves, it's these kinds of decisions that really wraps themselves up in the end. If you think about it, right, you're going to you're going to call out war crimes on someone else when you've been committing them your entire time. It makes no sense ladies and gentlemen, but uh, let's see what this article has to say. It says here, whoops, wrong one. It says here, there's Zelensky. Ukraine is pursuing war crimes charges against leaders of JP Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and other major Western banks over their purported indirect financing of the Russian state. An economic advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Tuesday, There's no doubt that Russia is committing war crimes in Ukraine against Ukrainians, said Oleg Ustenko, the advisor, during an interview with CNBC. In our logic, everybody who's financing these war criminals who are doing these terrible things in Ukraine are also committing war crimes. So, you know, take those notes, right, ladies and gentlemen? Take those notes. We have this moron here. This moron here is saying that In their purview, if you're financing war criminals, you are committing war crimes. Why do I say take notes? To use their words against them, of course. What better way, right? I mean, if Ukraine is the one who's committing all these war crimes, and we know that as documented truth and fact then I would have to say the billions and billions and billions of dollars that people like Senator John Cornyn of Texas or Nancy Pelosi or of California or Schumer or, or, or Mitch McConnell or Dan Crenshaw, you know, that they're all for funding the billions and billions plus weapons to Ukraine that maybe when the dust settles and everyone gets their eyes straight-wise and not crossed anymore, that maybe they should be charged for war crimes. Maybe they should be charged for war crimes. After all, they're ensuring that these war criminals who kill their own people, who destroy their own infrastructure, um, they are ensuring that uh, these war criminals get away with murder. 
and that they're able to kill more people, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, use their words against them. Use Oleg Ustenko's words against them because they are the real war criminals here, ladies and gentlemen. That is without a doubt. Earlier this month, Ustenko wrote to J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon and the bosses of Citigroup and HSBC asking them to cut ties with companies that trade Russian oil and sell shares in Russian oil and gas firms such as Gazprom and Rosneft. Ustenko said of the banks in his CNBC interview, We are going to pursue not maybe companies, but managers of these companies. He added, We have different options. The first option is definitely the ICC. The International Criminal Court? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If they go to The Hague, ladies and gentlemen, if they go to The Hague... Well, then we'll know exactly how high up the chain this corruption goes, ladies and gentlemen. If the International Criminal Court wants to hold Russia responsible for war crimes, and they do that like a quick trial, quick trial, ladies and gentlemen, a quick trial. There's no doubt that these people are also globalist hacks as well. So, you know, expose yourself all you want. Let's just hope there are enough uh, patriots out there. Patriots of humanity as well, who will hold them accountable and uh, hold the truth to their nose, ladies and gentlemen. Ustenko said Ukraine's justice and security services were gathering information about the bank's activities that would be passed to the International Criminal Court. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to you're going to collect the bank's activities, Mr. Ustenko. While, um, I don't know, maybe we'll have uh, Russia collecting all of the uh, evidence on the ground about your war crimes. And they'll also take that to the ICC. And let's see who wins that fight, right? It says here, in his letters to this, the bank CEOs, which were seen by the Financial Times, Ustenko accused the banks of prolonging the war in Ukraine. No, 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 no. It is NATO that is prolonging the war in Ukraine. It is Antony Blinken that is prolonging the war in Ukraine. It is, it is Jake Sullivan that is prolonging the war in Ukraine. It is the Biden regime that is prolonging the war in Ukraine. And it's not a war. It's a special military operation. Get it right. Okay? Okay. J.P. Morgan provides credit to VTOL, which trades Russian oil, and the bank's Russian Securities Investment Trust holds shares in Rosneft, Sberbank, and Gazprom, Ustenko said in his letter to Diamond per the Financial Times. HSBC's assets manager, uh, management arm, also has stakes in Gazprom and Rosneft, and Citigroup extends credit to VTOL and the Russian energy giant Lukoil, the letter said. Per the Financial Times, J.P. Morgan Chase, HSBC, and Citigroup did not respond to requests for comment about this matter. Citi told the Financial Times it had cut down its business in Russia. J.P. Morgan Chase told the publication it had helped implement sanctions against Russia. So you go and you run, little Zelensky. He's like, I just want some money. Poor little Zelensky. 
per little Zelensky. Sorry, guys. I'm just like this little, this little, this little shit stain Zelensky. Oh, just a moment, guys. Okay, cool. So, all right, guys. So, uh, guess what, y'all? We're gonna run into some overtime tonight. I hope you don't mind that we run into some overtime. I really want to get through Russia today. Oh, let's get this guy off the screen. Hold on. Let me let me do this behind the screens. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm going to use this time right now to go ahead and reset my clock. I might pop in and say hello, eh? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com, that's www.thecreport.com, and be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. So let's continue on the uh, track that we are advancing. We just talked about this. Ukraine is claiming that they're going to what? Ukraine is claiming that they're going to uh, pursue criminal war, war charges against uh, banks financing banks financing Russian businesses and um, CE uh, corporations. Uh, here's another article I'd like to share with you. Hey, 123SKG, good evening. Good to see you. Thank you for gifting the shades. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Uh-oh, Tam Grell's uh, headphones are dying. <laughs> hang in there, hang in there. We're going to talk about, um, um, we're going to debunk a recent event in Russia, Ukraine. And then we're going to talk about um, Russia's um, um, uh, international ambassador, uh, Sergei Lavrov's visit to Africa. And we'll call it a wrap, guys. That's all I got left for us tonight. We're almost done. We're almost done. So hang in there just a little bit longer, ladies and gentlemen. Just a little bit of overtime tonight. Uh, it's going to be at least 30 minutes, though, just so you know. At least 30 minutes of overtime. I don't think we'll go much longer than that. But uh, there is this new article that apparently this came out of the New York Times, okay? And it's being reported in uh, RT. All right, because you ain't going to get this stuff anywhere else, right? Talking about the morale of Ukraine's military. And uh, specifically, how that morale is in what? It is in decline, ladies and gentlemen. So let's take a real quick gander. Let's see what the goose is cooking and uh, what, it, what we can learn from it. It says, Kiev's secretive and arbitrary military recruitment, which leads to the drafting of soldiers who are unwilling to serve, is affecting the morale of the Ukrainian troops fighting against Russia, the New York Times has reported. Secretive and arbitrary military recruitment. Are they talking about a draft or what? It says, there are signs five grueling months into the war that the sense of unity is fraying at the edges within the Ukrainian military, the paper pointed out in a report on Monday. 
Some soldiers are unhappy that they have done a long, hard service, while many others manage to stay away from service, it said. There is no one to replace us. There are too few people. It's very hard for the guys psychologically, a Ukrainian soldier says, who'd spent months fighting, commented. There is also disillusionment among Kiev's report, uh, Kiev's troops with the country's draft system, which turns away some who want to fight due to bureaucratic reasons while taking in others who are unwilling and unqualified, the New York Times reported. Some Ukrainian commanders have been complaining that summoning men will unwillingly to serve is lowering morale among those who volunteered, it added. The paper recalled how, in June, Kiev police announced that they had raided two nightclubs in the capital over violating a curfew and handed a summons for service to more than 200 male partygoers. Dang! <laughs> this angered Valerie Marcus, a senior sergeant of the 47th Armed Forces Battalion, who wrote on Facebook that he was... Valerie? He? He? Valerie? Gender problems? Just kidding. Um, after all, in French, my name is Michel. Anyways, it says, uh, who wrote on Facebook that he was outraged because the military profession is being reduced to the level of punishment for these scumbags. In his post, Marcus slammed Ukraine's chaotic draft system, arguing that poorly trained and unmotivated recruits are endangering the lives of other troops. He also recalled cases of alcoholism and other troubling issues among the newly arriving soldiers. The Ukrainian government, which uh, has barred all men aged between 18 and 60 from leaving the country, has been undertaking a massive recruitment drive amid the conflict with Russia. Among other things, it includes recruiters handing out draft notices in the streets and other public places. The authorities claim that only those who are willing to join the military are being summoned, but witnesses report that, in many instances, this is not the case. The large-scale draft is drawing accusations that it is secretive and arbitrary, that it violates the government's own rules, the New York Times wrote, adding that it also led to a cat-and-mouse game between recruiters and men trying to avoid them. Almost 27,000 have already signed a petition to the Ukrainian president's website calling on Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky to outlaw issuing summons in public places and to establish a transparent process through which service personnel might be called up. In a report in late June, RT detailed how Kiev is sending people to the front without proper medical checkups and having given them only a few days of the most basic training, the ranks of the Ukrainian military, the report explained, are being replenished not only with those unfit to serve, but also with convicts being released from prison. It also reveals that the groups are being created by Ukrainians on social media to share the locations of recruiters in real time so that those trying to avoid them could do so. The New York Times article also mentioned such groups. Some are unwilling to fight due to the high Ukrainian losses, which, according to the New York Times, peaked this spring at 100 killed and almost 400 wounded daily, but others become draft dodgers for political reasons. Interesting story that, huh? So they're facing draft in Ukraine because no one wants to fight for Ukraine. Even the Ukrainians understand, ladies and gentlemen, that Ukraine is not 
for Ukraine. Mm. Here's another interesting story about Ukraine and what they're doing to make the lives of people harder since they're not siding with the ultra-nationalist Nazi forces of Ukraine. You guys remember how um, <clears throat> President um, Putin had um, um, made it easier for people to gain a Russian passport or become a Russian citizen? Uh, like how he made uh, he made lenient um, um, rulings so that this way it could expedite uh, people leaving Ukraine. Well, you know, Volodymyr Zelensky over in Ukraine decides to go ahead and criminalize it if you acquire a Russian passport. Can you talk about desperation, right? They're like, well, if I can't have you, no one can, right? And doesn't allow anyone to even get a passport to Russia, right? Um, it says here, this is a quote from Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Reintegration of the Temporarily Occupied Territories. That's probably the Donbass region. Man's name is Anatoly Stelmak. As far as the bill is concerned, some of its articles introduce punishments such as fines and prison terms of up to 15 years. The Ukrainian authorities are working on a bill criminalizing the acquisition of Russian passports. Deputy Minister of Reintegration of the Temporarily Occupied Territories, Anatoly Stelmak, said on Monday, The possibility of criminalizing the acquisition of these passports by all categories of the population is under consideration. The Ministry of Reintegration is already developing a bill criminalizing the acquisition of Russian passports by a public figures, as well as efforts to promote the acquisition of passports. Passports, he told the Rada TV channel. As far as the bill is concerned, some of its articles introduce punishments such as fines and prisons terms up to 15 years, Stalmak specified. In addition, participation in a referendum will also be criminalized. Can you imagine that, ladies and gentlemen? If Texas wanted to have a referendum and secede from the United States of America... Washington, D.C. would criminalize that action. In other words, you can't go anywhere. If I can't have you, no one can. That's ludicrous, okay? Because Crimea, Donetsk, and Luhansk has already done a referendum. And now Kherson wants to do a referendum to separate from Ukraine. They're going to make it illegal, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, it kind of tells you whose side who's on, right? Just You just watch what they do in their actions and stuff like that. And it's pretty easy to deduce. Ladies and gentlemen, what an insane move that's going to make towards him. It's totally going to make Ukraine look like the good guy, right? At the same time, the official said that the reason behind those processes were not important. Ukrainian Deputy Minister uh, and Minister of Reintegration of the Temporarily Occupied Territories, Irina Vershuk said on July 20th that the acquisition of Russian citizenship by Ukrainians should be viewed as a crime, regardless of the circumstance. Insane, insane, ladies and gentlemen. Simply insane. These people are crazy. These people are crazy. All right, let's see what's next on the dial for you guys. Here is an um, article out of the Legacy Media Press, the fake news. 
new Russian airstrikes target Black Sea regions of Ukraine. So we're going to get into a little bit of debunking in this next segment before we wrap it up. We may not be able to cover Lavrov tonight. Uh, we, well, we'll see how far we get because uh, we've got some ground to cover under this debunking here, guys. But um, uh, with Lavrov in Africa, um, basically... <laughs> Well, you all were here when we were doing our um, Victoria Newland report in Africa, weren't you guys? Uh, so we have her in Africa. She was most recently in Nigeria and Somalia. Uh, I don't know where she is today. Okay, I haven't been following Victoria Newland the last few days, but Lavrov, uh, Sergei Lavrov, um, um, uh, an, an ambassador of Ukraine, uh, has, is on tour currently on the continent of Africa. And I wanted to talk about that tonight, but we may not have time. We'll get through, uh, let's get through this debunking here, guys. Uh, de we're debunking something else. Debunking another claim by Ukraine that Russia is uh, destroying its people, killing its people, and making the world go hungry. Okay, so to jump into that, here's this article. Again, it's from the Legacy Media Press. New Russian airstrikes target Black Sea regions of Ukraine. Now, this one's going to be kind of fun, guys, because we're going to debunk this. But um, ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, the answer to this quandary is yes. It is, in fact, Russia, Russian forces, and Russian missiles that were striking the Black Sea region of Ukraine. But there's a reason why. Let's take a look at this. It says, Russia has targeted Ukraine's Black Sea regions of Odessa and Mykolaiv uh, with airstrikes despite a deal that was supposed to allow grain shipments from ports to resume. So here's the kicker, guys. Here's the kicker. Russia and Ukraine and the United Nations struck a deal so that this way grain could leave the ports of Ukraine. That's right. The same ports that the Ukrainian Nazis put water mines to blow up ships, right? The same ports that the European Union and the United States put sanctions on. So that this way, no one would ensure the Russian ships to get the grain out to sea, to get the grain to Africa and wherever else it had to go, thereby causing what? Famine, right? Causing mass starvation, causing mass food shortages, okay? So the United Nations, Ukraine, and Russia come to an agreement. And within 24 hours of that agreement, someone blows up the ports of Odessa. Who could it be? Hmm. Well, I mean, I already kind of answered that question, ladies and gentlemen. It was Russia. But there's a reason why. So uh, let's see what the rest of this article has to say. Actually, you know, actually what, we, what I want to do, actually what I want to do before we share this article with you is why don't we review, okay? Why don't we review article? What are you doing here? Let me do this real quick. Why don't we review this agreement between Russia and Ukraine and the United Nations to get grain to the rest of the world, ladies and gentlemen. I think that would probably be good on par for understanding, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we'll get that on the screen here. Just give me one tick. I'll move that right there. Okay, cool. All right. 
Okay, guys, let's do this. Let's talk about grain, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk about farming. <laughs> let's talk about feeding the world, okay? So Russia and Ukraine, United Nations, come to an agreement because, of course, even though the West does not want to admit it, it's because of their sanctions that the rest of the world might go hungry, right? Okay, so we got that down, that's for sure. Now, here is some comments from the United Nations regarding that agreement. And uh, let me pop that into immersive. Excellent. Let's hey, go back into immersive. It saves energy, ladies and gentlemen, when you read things in immersive. So it says here, UN comments on Ukraine grain export deal. The United Nations expects cargo vessels carrying grain from Ukraine to be moving within days. Farron Hawk, a spokesman for United uh, Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, said Monday, all parties to the UN-backed deal, Russia, Turkey, and Ukraine, have reaffirmed their commitment to the agreement designed to unblock grain exports, he told a regular news briefing. Uh, this uh, United Nations representative says, we can tell you that since the signing of the agreement, parties to the initiative and the United Nations have been in frequent contact, including yesterday. All parties have reconfirmed their commitment to the initiative. By tomorrow, all parties and the United Nations will have a presence in the Joint Coordination Center in Istanbul. That's what was supposed to happen. It says the first ships carrying Ukrainian grain are expected to begin moving within a few days, the spokesman said, without providing more precise time frame. The Joint Coordination Center will be liaising with the shipping industry and publishing detailed procedures for ships in the very near future. The landmark deal to enable exports of Ukrainian fertilizers, grain, and other foodstuffs was signed last week in Istanbul by representatives of Russia, Ukraine, the United Nations, and Turkey. One day after the agreement was inked, however, Kiev accused Russia of targeting grain silos located at the major trade port of Odessa with at least four cruise missiles. Moscow has denied targeting port infrastructure, reiterating its stance that it, it hits exclusively military targets. In Odessa, Russia said it, ha it hit a moored Ukrainian Navy vessel and a warehouse of Western-supplied Harpoon anti-ship missiles. See, so you see, that's what's going on here, guys. I have like four articles ready for this uh, story, but it looks like we only need one. Okay, so Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, the United Nations get together and they decide, you know what, we're going to feed the people of the world. We're going to let Ukrainian grain go. And Russia's kind of like, well, you guys could have always done this if you didn't put these stupid sanctions on us. But nevertheless... They worked out a landmark deal, right? This is, oh, this is such a big deal. You know, whoever brokered this deal is amazing. All you have to do is not put sanctions on them to begin with, really, if you think about it, right? Okay, so within 24 hours of this deal being struck, okay, and Sergei Lavrov, and I've said that name a lot today, he's the Russian foreign minister. Sergei Lavrov is the one who signed it himself, ladies and gentlemen. And um, this is because, again, Lavrov said the same thing. Lavrov's been like, well, you know, your sanctions against the ships and the insurance and all that. So that's what's stopping us. 
Okay, that's what's making the world go hungry. It has nothing to. We're not stealing the 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 grain of Ukraine, and I really don't believe that they are. <clears throat> so, within 24 hours of this deal being struck, missiles strike the Odessa ports. Ukraine, as always, says it's Russia, Russia's Russia, Russia, Russia's targeting our grain silos, and Russia's like, no, we only hit military targets. But I mean, as it turns out. Russia did strike the ports of Ukraine in Odessa this time. I mean, seriously, they did. But the reason why they did is because they were um, they were um, attacking Ukrainian Navy vessels and also a warehouse that supplied Western Harpoon anti-ship missiles, military targets. Right, ladies and gentlemen? So uh, this is what Lavrov has to say. Lavrov said, and by the way, Lavrov said that the grain deal was not tied by any means to the ongoing military operation against the country, but he did say, under the grain deal, Russia did not assume any obligations that would prevent the continuation of the special military operation and the destruction of military infrastructure. In other words, we're only targeting military infrastructure. The top diplomat noted that the grain terminal in Odessa is located at a considerable distance from military facilities, and Moscow has not created any obstacles for the export of grain with its actions. Okay. Very interesting. So a real quick, an accusation and a debunk coming rather, rather alarmingly quick, ladies and gentlemen. Alarmingly quick. The way I kind of saw it when I first heard about this, because this actually happened like on Friday, Saturday-ish, the whole bombing and stuff like that. And um, the way I saw it is uh, Ukraine comes to the table uh, and they're like, yes, yes, we know we put landmines in the port so ships can't come out, right? That's Ukraine. Like we put landmines. We, the Ukrainians, put landmines in our own ports to blame it on Russia. And, oh, yes, we're going to come and we're going we're gonna to strike a deal. We're going to strike a deal, right? We're going to strike, sign that paperwork. You know, Ukraine is all for getting grain out to the world, right? Help the world, right? Never mind all the money Ukraine is taking from everyone else, right? But at the same time, they're like this. Oh, if we strike a deal with Russia to allow grain to leave our ports, maybe Russia won't attack our ports. Ah, if Russia won't attack our ports, maybe that means we can store more weapons there. Oh, if we can store more weapons there, maybe that means we can get more NATO-funded weapons to come into, and that's the United States of America, to come and store them here. And then Russia goes and drops the bomb. Boop! Blows up! The, uh, the uh, warehouse and the moored uh, um, military vessel there in Odessa port. And all Ukraine can do is say that um, Russia betrayed the people. Russia betrayed the world. Russia doesn't care about the people. Russia has no human emotions. Russia doesn't care if people starve and they blew up grain silos. All a lie. All a lie, ladies and gentlemen. All a lie. Obviously a lie, right? obviously a lie um let's take a look at this article (laughs) this article let's take a look at this video let's see if let's see how much western propaganda is in this video about the event that happened on this weekend okay let's just take a gander 
What do you guys think? Do you think it's going to be, uh, you think it's going to be honest and unbiased or you think it's going to be riddled with propaganda? <laughs> I mean, I called it propaganda, but you know, uh, let's see what this has to say. Only a day after a deal was signed to try and unblock grain exports across the Black Sea. The landmark agreement signed between Moscow and Kyiv on Friday is seen as crucial to curbing soaring global food prices. UN officials said they hoped the agreement would be operational within a few weeks. But it was not yet clear if that would still be possible, given Saturday's reported strikes. Natalia Humeniuk, spokeswoman for Ukraine's Operational Command South, said there was no significant damage from the strikes or casualties. She said two missiles hit infrastructure and two were intercepted by air defense forces. Ukraine's foreign ministry called on the United Nations and Turkey, which mediated the grain deal, to ensure that Russia fulfills its commitments and allows free passage in the grain corridor. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said he unequivocally condemns the reported strikes. Turkey's defense minister said Russia had told Ankara it had nothing to do with this attack and were examining the issue very closely and in detail. A blockade of Ukraine's ports by Russia's Black Sea fleet since Moscow's February 24th invasion has trapped tens of millions of tons of grain. With Russia and Ukraine both major global wheat suppliers, food prices have soared. The crisis has pushed some 47 million people into acute hunger, according to the World Food Programme. Russia, which called its invasion a special military operation, has denied responsibility. It blames Western sanctions for slowing its own food and fertilizer exports and Ukraine for mining the approaches to its Black Sea ports. Under Friday's deal, Ukrainian officials would guide ships through safe channels across the mined waters to three ports, including Odessa, where they would be loaded with grain. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Friday the deal would make around $10 billion worth of grain available for sale, with roughly 20 million tons of last year's harvest to be exported. Okay, so there's that. So again, Russia, 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 Russia. Uh, so we had that article there that I had um, come across again when we started talking about this whole debunk from Ukraine. Um, but let's take a listen. Let's take a listen to what uh, Sergei Lavrov himself had to say, ladies and gentlemen, about the... Um, about this entire uh, situation, okay? So I'm going to share with you guys. So we, we will get to see a little bit of Lavrov in... Uh, a little bit of Lavrov in uh, Africa, okay? Uh, someone asked him a question about uh, what happened in Ukraine with the ports and stuff like that. Uh, let's see what Lavrov had to say. I would like to touch on the topic of food security. This is especially true in African countries that depend on grain supplies, including from Russia. The United States and Ukraine have already accused Russia of trying to ignore the agreements concluded in Turkey on the export of grain and other agricultural products from the Black Sea ports. The reason for this was the destruction of a Ukrainian warship and a warehouse of American Harpoon missiles near the Odessa port the day before. 
In your opinion, is Russia ready to ensure food security and feed everyone who needs it? You know, our Western colleagues, in principle, have already become adept at presenting any news in a distorted way, only in the form in which it can be used against the Russian Federation. Nothing surprises me anymore. If we talk about the episode that took place in Odessa, then in the obligations that Russia assumed, including within the framework of the agreement signed on July 22nd in Istanbul, there is nothing that would prohibit us from continuing a special military operation, destroying military infrastructure and other military targets. Representatives of the UN Secretariat, by the way, if I understand correctly, yesterday confirmed precisely this reading of the signed documents. As for the targets on which high-precision strikes were delivered, they are located in a separate part of the Odessa port, in the so-called military part of the Odessa port. Those targets included a Ukrainian naval gunboat and an ammunition depot that had recently received Harpoon anti-ship missiles. They were brought there in order to pose a threat to the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Now these harpoons are no threat to us. And even objective experts have confirmed what we have been talking about from the very beginning. The grain terminal of the Odessa port is located at a considerable distance from the military part of the port. There are no obstacles to start delivering grain to customers in accordance with the agreement signed in Istanbul. And we didn't create them. Our interlocutors from the Congo are well aware of the causes of the food crisis, which began to appear at least three years ago in connection with the rather short-sighted, and above all, erroneous policy of the leading Western states. The Congo also understands that it was the failed policy of the Europeans, carried out under the dictation of the United States, that led to a sharp increase in energy prices. We discussed in detail today specific ways that will allow us to avoid these artificially created obstacles in relations between Russia and the Republic of the Congo and do everything so that our trade, economic and investment ties do not depend on the lawlessness that the West organizes in the world economy. How would you comment on the statement by Polish President Duda? that Russia must lose the war with Ukraine in order for this country to become part of the free world. You know, it's not that I'm already tired, but I no longer enjoy the comments and statements that are made several times a day by certain Western politicians who pursue a variety of goals. It is clear that this is due both to the situation at home and with the desire to divert attention from their own problems and with plans to promote their geopolitical interests. This is more and more reminiscent of the image that was created in Russian classical literature, which is called peak bests.
Но насколько тот мир, куда But how free is the world that the Polish leadership wants to drag Ukraine into, I think, is becoming more and more obvious with every passing day. When the whole of Europe unquestioningly submitted to the dictates of the United States and fulfills the will of Washington with enormous damage to its own economy and its own social sphere, this is the free world. It has a price. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. So, uh, and that was from his tour in the Congo. I mean, that was from his uh, stop in the Republic of the Congo, Lavrov. Uh, he's not quite finished there yet, ladies and gentlemen, but great information, great insights, great things to hear. Um, they're still continuing their military strikes, guys. Uh, you're going to give Ukraine and the Nazis some weapons and missiles. They're going to blow them up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, just to wrap up this, um, just to wrap up this whole notion here, guys, about, uh, what the Ukrainians are doing versus the Russians. Uh, let me just share this one article with you guys. This is from National Interest, and this is about... The, this matter. Lavrov claims, oh, sorry, I didn't realize it wasn't on the screen. Lavrov claims port strikes aimed at military targets, not grain terminals. Okay. That's what was going on. But of course, they're going to use every instance that they have to demonize Russia. Okay. This is severe Russophobia, ladies and gentlemen. Days after an agreement between Russia and Ukraine allowing Kiev to safely export grain across the Russian-controlled Black Sea, immediately followed by a Russian bombing of Odessa, Ukraine's largest port, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov vowed that the agreement would not prevent Moscow from bombing military targets. Okay, that we know. Uh, there's a certain, uh, there's a quote here I'm looking for. Uh, we already went through this. Oh. There's a quote I'm looking for from Lavrov. Anyhow, anyhow, anyhow. Okay, let me just finish this. Uh, speaking with uh, speaking in the Republic of the Congo, which we just saw during his tour of Africa, Lavrov added that Russian bombing should not affect Ukraine's grain exports. In other words, if we're going to blow up a warehouse filled with missiles on the same port that you have grains, it's not going to affect it. In fact, the ships going through landmine waters is probably a heck of a lot more dangerous than um, what you're seeing here uh, from what Ukraine is trying to tell us. Um, as previous strikes on Odessa had targeted the military part of the port, which claimed was a considerable distance from the grain terminal, the foreign minister also denied that the agreement over grain exports was an indicator of a broader ceasefire effort, noting that there was nothing in the obligations that would forbid them from continuing the special military operation. Um, although the Ukrainian government reacted with hostility to the bombing of Odessa, claiming that it displayed Russia's perfidy in negotiating the treatment, it added that the first grain exports would leave the port within the week. Our position is very simple. Ukrainian infrastructure minister Oleksandr Kubrakov, who helped lead the Ukraine's negotiations with the Kremlin in Istanbul, said, We have signed an agreement with the UN and Turkey. If the side guarantees security, the agreement will work. If they do not, it will not work. Oh, so you know what that tells me? What if that was a plant? What if that warehouse and that moored army vehicle was a plant? 
so that this way Russia would strike them with their military force, and then they would ergo force the United Nations and Turkey to put troops on the ground against Russia. That could be a scheme that they could be working towards. I mean, is that not what uh, Alexander Kukrubakov just said? If the side, if the United Nations and Turkey uh, uh, guarantee security, the agreement will work. Maybe they were, maybe they were fishing for uh, a larger fight. I don't know. It says, earlier in the week during his visit to Egypt, Lavrov admitted during a televised interview that Russia sought to overthrow Zelensky's government, accusing Kiev of being an absolutely unacceptable regime and absolutely anti-people and anti-historical, which, you know, guys, since we started covering this Ukraine-Russian debacle, otherwise known as the Russian special military operation in Ukraine, who's proven to be more anti-people? Ukraine, who shoots their own people in the back. Ukraine, who does not allow their citizens to use humanitarian corridors. Ukraine, who uses their own citizens as uh, human shields. Ukraine, who kills and massacres anyone who is on the side of Russia. Bucha, Bucha, Bucha comes to mind. Ukraine, anti-people, anti-historical. Let's not talk about Stephen Bandera. Let's not talk about the Nazis that uh, came over into Ukraine or were part of Ukraine and killed Ru uh, Russians and Jews and everyone else. Let's not talk about any of that. Let's not talk about the last eight years of Ukraine committing genocide against the people of the Donbass who had a referendum against Ukraine to join Russia. Okay, let's not let, let's let's talk about anti-historical Ukraine, right? Who denies the uh, colored revolution of 2014 and 2004? Okay, who denies that there was a coup that uh, caused ultranationalists to come into power in their nation? Who is really anti-people and really anti-historical here? Is what my question is. I think it's to well, you know. Uh, I'll just I'll just stop there. But it says the article continues. The Russian foreign minister added that the decision to overthrow Zelensky would be fundamentally made by the Ukrainians themselves, but would receive assistance from Russia's military. Huh. You see what they're trying to do here now? <clears throat> Get the people of Ukraine so ticked off that they try and overthrow Zelensky themselves. These comments promoting regime change contradict an earlier position he took in April in which he insisted that the special military operation had not targeted Zelensky and that only Ukrainians could remove him from power through legitimate means. The Russian foreign minister's visit to Africa comes as the Kremlin has sought to reassure several African nations that food from the conflict zone would continue to be delivered. An estimated one-third of the global wheat supply originates from Russia and Ukraine, and the war has sharply disrupted those exports, leading to concerns of widespread starvation in Africa that Russian officials have sought to push back against. Such interesting perspectives these are to me, ladies and gentlemen. Such interesting perspectives. Uh, when you're talking about the whole geopolitical... Uh, goings-ons between all of these nations, right? Um, very interesting indeed. But, you know, the thing about it here, guys, is when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, I don't know if all of you all are savvy to this or not, but the entire world is standing with Russia, okay? 
The only ones who are standing with Ukraine are the Western-backed powers, the United States, the European Union, uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, Canada. Those, those states, just, it's just the Western states. The entirety of the rest of this planet, ladies and gentlemen, are standing on Russia's side. And I think that is something that we can sleep well with knowing, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. All right. I only got a couple of more stories for you guys, and we're going to call tonight a wrap. Thanks again for hanging out. Um, we're going to take a look now at what what Ukraine is doing, right? Because Ukraine's like, Russia does this, Russia does that, Russia does this, Russia is, you know, whatever. But what is Ukraine doing and what is NATO doing, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, Tam Growl, the five eyes. You got it, hun. You nailed it. It says here, um, and this article comes from Toss. I would be considered a Russian bot for reading Toss articles to you guys. Defense minister says Germany has supplied Mars to MRLS to Ukraine. Defense minister Christine Lambrecht said that Germany had supplied the promised Mars to multiple launch rocket systems to Ukraine, DPA News Agency reported on Tuesday. According to its data, the ministry informed about the transfer of three more self-propelled howitzers to Kiev. Earlier, Lambrecht had promised to send three Mars to MLRS to um, MLRs. The Business Insider online news portal did not rule out that the delivery system, uh, the delivery could be delayed for months due to the need to adapt the system software. Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced that Germany would provide Kiev with IRIS Iris T air defense systems, a modern radar station, and Mars to MLRs MLRS. According to the uh, Build newspaper, the IRST may be deployed in Ukraine no earlier than November. On June 21st, Ukrainian Defense Minister Alexei Resnikov announced that his country had received Germany's Panzer Haubitz 2000 self-propelled howitzers with trained Ukrainian crews. On the same day, the German government published for the first time the list of weapons transferred to Ukraine and the plan for further deliveries, which includes 30 Gephard air defense guns, Iris T-3 Mars systems, 22 trucks, and 80 pickup trucks. There are 38 items on the list of weapons and material already delivered, with 25 more on the list of the planned ones. So uh, I guess Ukraine can look forward to getting uh, bombed and missiled by Russia until NATO stops it, right? Because I don't think they're going to stop until then. Uh, here's one, another story. Just as we wrap up the night, Ukrainian plot to hijack Russian warplanes exposed by Moscow. This one's coming out of RT.com. Russian intelligence has claimed that it foiled a sophisticated plot from Ukrainian spies to hijack several military jets. A security official um, and a pilot who is said to have been targeted by Kiev's agents have shared details of the operation with RT. Russia's Federal Security Service has sensationally added that a leading figure from the U.S. government-funded investigative organization Bellingcat which presents itself as a journalistic grouping, was also involved in the scheme, which it believes was supervised by NATO intelligence 
agencies. The FSB, again, the Federal Security Service of Russia, specifically pointed the finger at British operatives. It explained that Russian pilots were promised passports from EU member states and substantial cash rewards in order to participate in the plot. Early in the ongoing conflict, the Ukrainians compiled a list of Russian military hardware using publicly available information. They promised monetary rewards for potential defectors who managed to bring the equipment with them. The more elaborate the weapons were, the better the rewards that were promised, with warplanes, helicopters, and tanks fetching the top payment of up to $1 million. When the public call for defectors fell flat, Ukraine's security service targeted individual Russian servicemen, pilots in particular, directly. They apparently traced and identified the airmen through the digital trail they left online, an operative with Russian security service, told RTTV reporter Maria Finoshina. Kiev appeared to be specifically interested in Russian Su-34 fighter bombers and Tu-22M3 strategic aircraft, according to the source. A Su-34 pilot targeted in the plot told RT that he was initially reluctant to speak with the Ukrainian spies, believing the promise of $1 million for stealing warplanes and defecting to Kiev to be a prank. After realizing his interlocutors interlocutors, (laughs) were serious about the proposal, he tipped off Russian intelligence, which then monitored subsequent conversations. Initially, of course, I took it as a joke, says the pilot. But after a period of talking, it became clear that I was dealing with representatives of the Ukrainian intelligence service and their Western partners. Also, I was supposed to get passports of European states and a comfortable life abroad was promised. Kiev's intelligence operatives apparently believed that the Russian pilot who they contacted were ready to commit treason and hijack their own warplanes, putting them in touch with a Ukrainian pilot to discuss technical details. Uh, The Russian airmen said they believed so much in the possibility of organizing the hijacking that they revealed the layout of their defense systems, altitude maps, and lots of other useful information to us. The airmen added that the information obtained from the Ukrainians, uh, the information was used during the military operation. To prove that the pilots were actually able to pull off the hijacking and had access to the specific warplanes, Ukrainian intelligence demanded video proof from them. The pilots were paid between $4,000 and $7,000 per video, which showed them getting into the planes while holding pieces of paper with specific numbers. Since most financial transactions between Russia and foreign countries have been heavily restricted under Western sanctions, the pilots were to be paid in cash through an elaborate network of couriers. The FSB says it has detained the man who had allegedly hired the couriers to deliver the money, and the upset made a rather unexpected revelation. The middleman claimed he had received orders directly from Christo Grozev, the Bulgarian lead Russia investigator with Bellingcat, a controversial Western state-funded organization that was labeled 
undesirable in Russia earlier in July. Moscow has repeatedly questioned the independence of the investigative group, citing its close ties with intelligence agencies. Grosev did not actually explain anything to me. He just told me the name of the courier who would deliver the money by train, the suspect claimed. The alleged involvement of Grosev is not the only suggestion of Western influence in hijacking the planes. During the negotiations with the pilots, Ukrainian intelligence was able to procure two legitimate EU passports, one Slovakian and one Romanian, for wives of the pilots as a guarantee for the would-be defectors. Leaving Russia with such documents would have immediately turned the pilots' families into hostages of Ukrainian intelligence, the FSB operative told RT, as methods of blackmail, threats, and pressure on relatives have long been standard practice for them. Obviously, the operation itself was carried out with the support of Western and primarily British intelligence. We know about Grozev's involvement and MI6 not only from the statements the pilot added, claiming that Ukrainian intelligence had recently ceased hiding its ties with foreign spies. The plot also described an even darker element as the would-be defectors were supposed to somehow deal with their fellow crew members, it was revealed. While the SU-34 has two crew members, the TU-22M3 has four. Ukrainian intelligence reportedly suggested that Russian pilots should drug their comrades with uh, clopahelin, clonidine, which is a medication used to treat high blood pressure and other ailments. In high doses, however, it has a strong sedative effect, which makes the drug popular among criminals wishing to knock out their victims to rob them. Very high doses can also be lethal. Since the medication is not easy to come by in Russia, Ukrainian intelligence is said to have arranged a dead drop involving the substance. The FSB says it later recovered a stash of the product. As the pilot, I was asked to knock out my co-pilot, and what would happen to him after that is not clear, even whether he would be kept alive, the Russian serviceman said. According to the FSB's information, the Ukrainian side insisted the, be the betrayed crew members would be safe and exchanged as POWs later on. The Russian pilot, however, expressed strong doubts about that. Goodness me oh my. You see what those Ukrainians are up to, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what those Ukrainians are up to? All right, last article for the night, ladies and gentlemen. Is this one the last one too? Russia eliminates 40. Oh, oh, I take it back. Two more articles. They're short ones. Don't worry. They're short ones. But let's check this one out. This one's also from RT. It's a short article. Again, we're talking about what Ukraine is up to in Russia, right? Ukrainian drone strikes Russian border checkpoint. Now, that's definitely not a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see what this article has to say. It says, um, a Ukrainian drone dropped an explosive device onto a border checkpoint in Russia's Bryansk, Bryansk region on Tuesday, according to the local governor. Four people were wounded in the attack, with one of them later dying of his injuries in a hospital, Alexander Bogomas said. 
The wounds of the other victims have been described as moderate and light. The Trobortnoye checkpoint was hit by a quadcopter UAV with its bomb striking a warehouse building, the governor wrote on Telegram. The same checkpoints had already been targeted with mortar attacks, uh, mortar attacks by the Ukrainian forces in April and May. In late June, two Ukrainian kamikaze drones smashed into an oil refinery in southern Russia's Rostov region, damaging the facility and causing a large fire. Since the start of Moscow's military offensive in Ukraine, Kiev's forces have carried out numerous strikes on settlements and border checkpoints in Russia's Bryansk and Belgorod regions. The attacks, which mainly involved drones and mortars, have hit both infrastructure and residential areas, resulting in destruction, injuries, and several civilian deaths. Okay, not a good thing if Ukraine is striking out at Russia, right? Because we all know what that means. If Ukraine strikes out at Russia, we're really looking at some heavy-duty problems, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I tell you, I, you know, I tell you guys, so much information in a day. Two to three hours is scarcely enough time to contain it sometimes. But uh, here we are now, ladies and gentlemen, at our final article for tonight. This one is coming from Sputnik International, ladies and gentlemen. As they always have live updates coming from the Donbass region, live updates coming from the special Russia military operation. Uh, let's see what this final article has to say. Here's our final moment of truth on Russia-Ukraine for tonight's edition of The Sea Report. Article from Sputnik says, Live updates. Russia eliminates over 40 mercenaries in DPR. That's the People's Republic of the Donetsk. Uh, Director of Military says... Moscow launched its special military operation on February 24th after the Donetsk and the Luhansk republics asked Russia for help amid intense attacks by Kiev. President Vladimir Putin stressed that the operation's goal is to end the eight-year-long war waged by Ukraine against the people of the Donbass, noting that Kiev's actions in the regime amount to genocide in case you all had forgotten what this was all about. On Friday, Russia and Ukraine managed to reach an agreement regarding the supplies of grain via the Black Sea. The flow of food and fertilizer ceased back in February after Kiev's forces installed, see, Kiev's forces installed sea mines in the nation's port cities, making it impossible for vessels to reach them. Addressing the deal, the Ukrainian government said that it plans to restore the regular monthly level of grain supplies by midfall. Is that it? Is that all I got? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that, <laughs> that had nothing to do with the 40 mercenaries. Uh, let me see if I can find this. Some 24,500 people evacuated from Ukraine, Donbass to Russia in the past day. Wow. Nearly 24,000 people have been evacuated to Russia over the past 24 hours from dangerous areas of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics and Ukraine. Head of the Russia National Defense Control Center, Colonel General Mikhail Misinstev, Misinstev who also leads Russia's Humanitarian Response Coordination Headquarters, said... 
He added that the start of Russia's spill. He added that since the start of Russia's special military operation, more than 2.887 million people, including over 455,000 children, have been evacuated to Russia. Uh, and then it talks about their special military operation. I see what's going on. This thing updated on me. That's what's going on. Ew. Pentagon OK's plan to treat Ukrainian troops at United States Military Hospital in Germany. Really? Representative of Russia calls on the United Nations to refrain from accusing Moscow of cyber aggression. Stop distorting the facts. Uh, let's see here. We'll skip that one. Um, we'll skip that story. Uh, let's see. United Nations working with United States on issue of visa refusal to top Russian cyber official. Okay. Turkish defense minister says fuel deal similar to food deal being prepared. Grain deal in action. First ship to leave Ukrainian ports soon. So that's good. That means by now it's probably it's probably already on the move, ladies and gentlemen. I want to find this one article that I brought you here to hear about, ladies and gentlemen. Would it say it was 19 hours ago? Let's go 19 hours into the past, ladies and gentlemen. So I can find this article that I wanted to share with you all. Oh, are we out of articles? We're not out of articles yet. Okay, we're almost there. So we just read about that one. We just read about this. Oh, but now they're attacking the Bryansk area in Russia. Man, they better stop it. Those pesky Nazis. Here we go. Russia eliminates over 40 mercenaries in the Don, uh, Donetsk People's Republic. The Russian military has attacked a place of deployment of the Foreign Legion in Donbass and killed over 40 fighters, the Russian Defense Ministry said on Tuesday. Over 40 mercenaries, mostly Poles. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Though victory is proof of the skills you possess, defeat is the proof of your grit. A weakling can smile in his days of success, but at trouble's first sign, he will quit. So the test of the heart and the test of your pluck isn't skies that are sunny and fair but how do you stand to the blow that is struck and how do you battle despair a fool can seem wise when the pathway is clear and it's easy to see the way out but the test of a man's judgment is something to fear and what does he do when in doubt and the proof of his faith is the courage he shows when sorrows lie deep in his breast 
It's the way that he suffers, the griefs that he knows, that bring out his worst or his best. The test of a man is how much he will bear for a cause which he knows to be right. How long will he stand in the depths of despair? How much will he suffer and fight? There are many who serve when the victory's near, and few are the hurts to be borne. But it calls for a leader of courage to cheer the men in a battle forlorn. It's the way you hold out against odds that are great that proves what your courage is worth. It's the way that you stand to the bruises of fate that shows up your stature and girth. And victory's nothing but proof of your skill, veneered with a glory that's thin, unless it is proof of unfaltering will, and unless you have suffered to win.